impulses are being redirected. We are living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep. Oh, goddamn hacker, that second time night that asshole's cut in. The movement was begun eight months ago by a small group of scientists who discovered, quite by accident, the signals being sent through time. He's giving me a headache. Yeah, tell me about it. Must took the hackers months to figure out how to do this. The poor and the underclass are growing. Racial justice and human rights are non-existent. They have created a repressive society, and we are their unwitting accomplices. Their intention to rule rests with the annihilation of consciousness. We have been lulled into a trance. They have made us indifferent to ourselves, to others. We are focused only on our own game. We Please understand, they are safe as long as they are not discovered. That is their primary method of survival. Keep us asleep, keep us selfish, keep us sedated. They're pulling the water. Alrighty, folks, here we go. Um, bit of a uh, special show for this one, General Knowledge Podcast, uh, Season 5. Actually, I'm going to throw this up as Episode 2 because it's something different. I'm going to try and keep things, mix things up a little bit. Uh, definitely Episode 2, that's right, I had to double check then. <laughs> it all just melds into one. Anyway, um <laughs> Andy's joining me for this one, as well as another guest. I'll bring her in in just a moment. But Andy, how you going, brother? Thanks for uh, coming on for a chat skis and uh, something different for this episode. How you going? Uh, good morning, General. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very different. Yeah, I, I um, haven't watched uh, watched this film for a very, very long time. So yeah, looking forward to breaking it down. Yeah, it'll come back to you. Don't worry about that. Yeah, so like Andy alluded to, this one's going to be um, we're going to do a bit of a movie review, but um, there's a reason, obviously. We're going to do this particular movie because it's um, oh, it's a look. It's a cult classic. It's been around for since the eighties. Eighty eight, it came out, um, but it's so poignant. A lot of the things in it um, we can sort of relate to what's happening today and all that sort of stuff. So that's the reason why we're going to watch this one and, and have a chat about it as we go along. And joining us to do so, we've got Stella Q, one of our one of my lovely members and also fellow podcaster. Stella, how you going, mate? Good to have you back on for a chat. Yeah, excellent to be here. Thanks a lot for the uh, the invite. Man, I'm glad you actually watched it because I've been bugging you about it for so long. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people have, actually. Ah. This, uh, this one and Idiocracy is the next one I have to watch. Yeah, Andy's watched Idiocracy. You've seen that one, haven't you, mate? Um, I still haven't actually seen it. I've, I've listened to reviews yeah. and I've, I haven't actually properly sat down and, and watched time. it myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, again Andy, funny. you don't have to mute put yourself on mute either leave yourself off mute it's it's all good um okay. unless unless obviously someone comes in the background like billy and starts talking to you but um yeah otherwise yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> don't worry about muting it's all good background noises yeah, yeah that's okay that's like, everyone understands it's all good <laughs> we're not in like high quality studios here or anything so <laughs> well, well pre pre-warning i've got a squeaky chair so it's the chair okay <laughs> <laughs> it's like the old bones and joints no okay <laughs> No. I feel like that myself lately. Anyway, oh, speaking of which, how freaking hot is it at the moment? Like it's ridiculously hot and muggy. As oh man, I'm glad I'm actually not on camera for this one, and we've just got the movie on because I'm like beating with sweat right now. Uh, 
Looking Lovely. forward to yeah. that, that so-called storm to come in. Oh, apparently, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, apparently. It doesn't, doesn't really yeah. look like it now, but yeah. Uh, I've anyway. um I've been sort of battling the mold at the moment, so I've got the dehumidifier going pretty much non-stop. Oh, you kind of have to. Hey, with that, it's so much yeah. rain, so much moisture around, and nothing like the sun doesn't really even dry it up at the moment because it just hangs in the air. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and it's been covered by Bill Gates anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah, chemtrails galore. Plenty of them up, up and about at the moment. I wonder if that's why they had the big cyclone up north. <laughs> They've been cloud, cloud seeding for months, probably. Uh, yeah, well, they have been down here. It was almost yeah. like it was basically the day that Kissinger died. It's like, release the hounds, and it's just been hammered ever since. Oh, didn't you realise that was what it, that was um, in his um, parting uh, words on his deathbed? He said, yes, I need everyone to sp spray the bugs, spray us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was his last, his last will and testament. <laughs> not surprise me at all. <laughs> all right. So like I mentioned, uh, folks, uh, for the listeners out there, we're going to do a bit of a breakdown. You, um, you won't be able to hear the movie, but um, we're going to basically just have a chat about it as we go along. Um, the movie, of course, is They Live 1988, a legendary film by awesome filmmaker uh john carpenter again he's got so many cult classics this guy he's been around for for a long time um a couple of my favorites of his would be uh the thing which was 1982 uh well that's apparently in like cult as far as cult classic goes that's like if everyone gets asked like what's your favorite horror movie all horror aficionados it's in their it's in their top five at least in their top ten anyway is, is the thing like it's a one of those movies that they just love it's you know, there's no fuck all CGI it's all practical um, you know uh, illusions and special effects you know all that sort of stuff uh, very good Kurt Russell um, and also one of our stars from this film we're going to do today they live uh, Keith David is also in that movie as well um, it's like um oh, right okay yeah the big tall black fella yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's done tons of movies and things. He's still he's one of the he's like the voice of the president in Rick and Morty in the cartoon series of that show at the moment too. Like he's been around the traps for a long time, that bloke. Yeah. Um, in one of my other favorite movies, Men at Work, he's in that one as well with Charlie Sheen and Milo Estevez. He's the other character in that movie. Um, but yeah, so Keith David's been around for a long time. Um, normally, you know, just certain directors pick certain actors that they just like to use all the time, like Tim Burton, right? So. Tim Burton, um, his muse was Johnny Depp, used him for all sorts of movies, you know. Um, whereas John Carpenter, he had a thing for uh, Kurt Russell. And so Kurt Russell was used many times in, in, uh, in his movies. Um, obviously, he was in The Thing. Uh, he wanted him for They Live, but he had to go with another actor. Um, he was in Big Trouble in Little China, you know, uh, another great cult classic from John Carpenter. Great movie, that one. Ah, right. Yeah, Big Trouble Little China, classic. Yeah, it's a great film. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I would say, like, uh, also, I Escape from New York. Uh, that's also another John Carpenter and um, Kurt Russell's in that one as well as as Snake Plissken, the main character. Oh um, wow, he's done them all yeah. then, hasn't he? Like, oh, he's yeah, definitely he's, <laughs> he's a tool. He loves. Him. Yeah, that's like I said, that's his muse. He loves using him. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he wanted to use him for this movie, like I mentioned, but uh, he ended up. Kurt was trying to focus on doing more because was, this was later in the 80s and you know, those other movies I mentioned were earlier on from 82 onwards. Um, and he wanted, Kurt wanted to get into doing more family comedies and family movies and stuff. So he was filming Overboard at the time with Goldie Horn, who he ended up obviously marrying and getting with yeah. after that movie. Um, so that's why he didn't use him for this movie. But he's picked 
Roddy Piper or Rowdy Roddy Piper, as he was known in the WWF back in the day, World Wrestling Federation, because um, he had a similar look, I think, as well. Um, he has that, you know, that sort of that mullet, you know, the same kind of hair, the same similar kind of height and build, you know. Um, or I would say Rowdy's probably a bit muscular, a bit more muscular than uh, Kurt Russell. But they had a very similar look, so I think that's one of the reasons why he went with him for the um, for the movie. Um, yeah, and apparently he saw him. So John Carpenter was a wrestling fan back in the day, and he went and watched one of the big WrestleMania, WrestleMania 7 or something, back in the day in the 80s, and he saw Roddy there, and he's like, I like you. And he went up and chatted him after the event and said, I want to use you in one of my movies. This was like back in like 84 or something, and he kept him in mind for ages. And I think he was, that was the backup. He's like, I've got a backup. This, this guy can fight, you know, he's good at acting, like, you know, he's scripting, he can follow, you know, moves and blah, 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 and he's he can, he can deliver a line, you know, he liked the fact that he could deliver a line, which we'll talk about later in the movie, hey, Andy, one classic yeah. line, don't say it now, don't say it now, but we'll, we'll bring that uh, line up a little bit later. <laughs> one of the best lines in movie history, everyone fucking knows it. Um, yeah, he's got a couple in this film, uh, and that's why apparently Roddy actually used to keep a notebook of lines that he would deliver when he was doing the wrestling. So he wrote a big notebook of all these lines and he gave it to John Carpenter. He said, yeah, this is what I do. You know, I write these, these cool lines and stuff. And he gave it to John and John saw that one particular line. He's like, yeah, we're putting this in the movie. You know what I mean? So <laughs> he just liked him. He liked wrestling. He liked him. And that's why I think he was the backup for Kurt Russell. But there we go. Now I'll put it at the end of this podcast. I'll edit it in for, um, for the listeners, but this and I'm not sure if I actually told you this as well, Andy, but this um, film was actually based on a short story. Um, and it was a short story written in like the 60s, like 1966 or something, um, by uh, Ray, uh, Ray Nelson was the, um, was the author of this short story. And the short story was called Eight O'Clock in the Morning. It's pretty cool. I'll play it at the end and I'll send you a link to it as well, Andy, so you can... Um, you can check it out after the show if you like as well. It's like goes for maybe ten minutes or something. I think Stella was it. Do you remember offhand? It was not not a very long story. Yeah, no, um, not not very long. Um, there's a really key component in that which would be a bit of a spoiler. But since we won't be talking about it afterwards, before we go to that, I wouldn't mind having a little bit of a chat about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can we Possible. can actually do, we'll do that a little bit now actually because I mean I know Andy probably hasn't listened to it, but um, we'll we'll throw we'll throw a bit uh, back and forth on that one now actually. So mm -hmm. yeah, so he he wrote this um, this short story eight o'clock in the morning, which again, like I said, uh, they live was actually based off. So I believe John Carpenter came across that. Um, but actually, no, that short story was then developed into a comic. I I from from what I heard and what I did my research and. Um, John Carpenter read that comic and went, oh, wow, this is awesome. I can make a movie out of this. And then he obviously realized it was based off a short story as well. Um, and then he's obviously come up with the script and everything else for, for the movie They Live. But, yeah, based off a, um, a comic uh, and a short story. There you go. Now, what did you want to add with, um, in that particular, with that particular short story? I mean, do we want to break it down a little bit for the, for the listeners? Stella? Uh, well, I watched that after I watched the film. So yep. I, yeah, I sort of yeah could relate to where it was all happening. I, I was kind of glad that they um, uh, tamed it down a little bit. <laughs> but um, at the very very end, I don't know. Do we want a spoiler alert or not? Um, 
Oh, I, I'm happy to. Yeah, I think that's oh. fine because, like I said, the, the listeners of this podcast will get to listen to that short story at the end of this show anyway. So that it's not really a, I mean, spoiler alert. But if you don't want to, you can skip this, you know, forward a little bit if you want to. But I don't really think it's not no, really no, a spoiler. No, no. <laughs> I mean, the title of the short story kind of gives it away anyway, I guess. But <laughs> ah, true. Go no, I just, it. I just thought it was really interesting at the very end where it was like the very key thing was to, to not compromise at all, like basically just believe in what you're going to do and do it like don't even pretend yeah. to not to not uh, to just don't even pretend to go along with things you know so that was it pretty much yeah and 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 you kind of i actually i did see a bit of that in the actual movie they live as well right at the end we'll get to that yeah. obviously but right at the end when he you know he basically loses his life he's like fuck it you know like yeah. <laughs> just go on with it you know i'm not going to back down same sort of concept exactly like in that short story exactly, and i like that yeah. he included that in the story as well yeah uh, that was but his very last words. Yeah, that's right. So, Andy, just for your quick reference, so basically the that short story, I'll give it a quick rundown um, very quickly, but a chap, he's um, he was at a hypnosis event. Um, when he gets hypnotised to wake up, he literally wakes up um, and he sees what's really going on around him and he starts seeing certain people around him are actually aliens. Um so that was his moment of waking up. It wasn't putting on sunglasses. That was purely John Carpenter, I think, doing that part of it. But it could have been in the comic. I'm not too sure. But anyway, so this guy wakes up and he realizes, fuck, there's these aliens all around me. And they, in the short story, they referred to them as fascinators. Um, that's what he, what he called them, called them fascinators. And they were like a different alien concept to what we see in They Live. But, um, yeah, he, he ends up going on a bit of a killing spree. Um, they try to... Um, basically hypnotizing he's seeing all these hidden messages around the place too because everyone's all hypnotized you know same sort of concept um with with they live one of them sends him a, like a hypnotic message that says that you'll, you you will die at eight o'clock in the morning or you'll have a heart attack at eight o'clock in the morning or something like that i can't remember exactly um and he's like he kind of he kind of plays plays along he's like hangs up the phone because they called him on the phone and said it and then he he sort of says yeah not likely like i'm not going to die because i know what's going on you know then goes on a bit of a rampage and stuff and kills a lot of the aliens and things but then it comes eight o'clock in the morning and he just drops dead and that's the end of the story um that's a very very brief synopsis of the story but it's quite it is a good it is a good little short story i thought it was quite clever um for the actual concept of it and develop to develop that into a film was um i thought he did really well i actually liked what john carpenter did with it um Low budget. He had three million dollars was the budget. Three million dollars was the budget for this movie. Um, I think it only it, it over the time it has made that back. It's made like maybe thirteen million or something. But in the day, it only sort of just like back in the day, uh, first month. I think it only just just scraped by and made its money back. Um, yeah, nineteen eighty eight. I mean, that was uh, that was still a fairly low budget for back then. And, it and was, it was shot, it, shot in eight weeks, which was pretty amazing. Yeah, um, and that was very typical of john carpenter as well like he, he was never known as like the big budget movie blockbuster he was everyone all of his movies are you could almost class them as the the good the good b-grade movies you know what i mean like you want to watch a kind of you know you're not really invested heavily in these kind of movies that he made and stuff they were good laugh they were a good yeah. action you know good thriller good horror and that was it you know what i mean like you, you, it was it was what it was it wasn't trying to be anything else um, did he did he happen to do also Fear and Loathing in Los Angeles or Las Vegas? Las Vegas. I don't I don't think that's him. I, I could be wrong. Um, 
if anyone's to actually, you know what, fuck it, let's I'll just quickly I was going to say, I'll IMDB it right now, just before we get into it. Um, Sounds like the sort of thing he would have done, because um, that was about, uh, what was that dude's name? Johnny Depp and Benicio Del Toro were in yeah, that Yeah, Johnny one. Depp was in no, it. No, no, that's not um, John Carpenter. Terry not Gilman. Him, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, so that's not him. Yeah, that was the story but, of Hunter S. Thompson, was it? Oh, he wrote it. Uh, just for the viewers out there, uh, here we go. Uh, so. The Thing. Now, wasn't there an original The Thing, like a black and that white is version? It. Yeah. No. Um, there's an, There's been a remake in, like, 2011 or something. Um, with Joel Edgerton, yeah. the Australian actor, was in that. But the original one is still the best. It is awesome. That was I the Kurt that. Russell was the original. I thought there was one before Correct. that. Correct. Yeah, wrong. I'll just um, zoom in a bit so people can see this. So, yeah, he's done, yeah, he did Vampires. Um, Christine was a, another cult classic. Oh, yeah, the thing. The Fog, that was one of his first Stephen ones. King. Yeah. Halloween, uh, obviously They Live. Escape from L.A. was the sequel to Escape from New York. Um Escape from New York, which was a so that was 1981. Starman, also a great movie. Um, in the Mouth of Madness, Big Trouble, Little China was 86. Prince of Darkness, apparently. Apparently, there's a uh, in this movie in They Live. There's a scene I think with a taxi driver's talking or playing something, and the, it's talking about Prince of Darkness. And also, right at the end of the movie, um, they actually mentioned John Carpenter by name uh, as well. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> I wonder if anyone clued into that too when they watched that movie. It was pretty funny. In, in, in part of the dialogue, uh, it was pretty clever the way he did that. I haven't seen all of these films, but the ones that I have seen are very, very, very much predictive programming. So I'm just thinking he's definitely caught up in the whole Hollywood machine. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely is. But I, <laughs> I just like what he's done with. Yeah. So here we go. We'll just start. We'll get into the movie now. Uh, opening titles, you know, the very. Um, Beginning of the movie, you've got some graffiti on the wall here, as everyone can see now. And uh, They Live is actually part of the graffiti on the wall there, which I thought was very well done. Nice way to actually do the intro of the of the film. The title. Very clever. Yeah. Starts so off with is, Mr. This is, uh, this is being shown where, General? So that people can watch? So this is in LA? This is in... Uh, no, I mean, like, is this on BitChute or... YouTube. Oh, sorry. I'm just I'm just playing this on YouTube at the moment, so I'll put a link okay. in too, so anyone else can actually watch this um, when they want to watch uh, when they want to watch the movie as well. We'll put a link to the show notes. Right. The stars our um, our main man. By the way, I'll just pause it there. Did you guys know that he doesn't have a name? No one. He, he this whole movie he is never mentioned by name. Did you know that? Well, I've got something I, to say about that. <laughs> I think Sorry. it's like, and it's like he's a nobody, right? He's, and he's yeah. got nothing to lose. Yeah, that's it's funny you should say that too, because in the in the credits he's credited as his character's name is Nada, N A D A, and obviously Nada is what Spanish for nothing. Nothing. Yeah, correct. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's very clever, but it's also based on the character in the short story whose name is George Nada. Yeah, George Nada. Very, that's right. Yeah, very clever. I thought that was really well done. But just imagine how difficult that is to actually script and write and film a whole movie where the main character's name is never mentioned. <laughs> like, that's very clever. 
You know what I mean? Like you hear Frank, he talks about you know, the black man Keith David talks about Frank, and he, all these other characters get named and stuff. Never they they work out a way to to avoid mentioning having to say his name. This whole movie, it's very clever. Ah, uh, uh, so they never even said nada. No, oh, I was, never gonna, I was gonna say, say what you said. I was going to say what you said, that nada means nothing. Um, right, okay. I thought there was a nada at one point, but I guess not. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, nothing. so. Yeah. He's nothing, uh, Meg, man. Yeah, not, nothing exactly. He's just a drifter. Our, our main we're, protagonist. we're nothing. The cattle are nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go, yeah. That's how we're seen. We're seen as nada, nothing, by, yeah, the, by exactly. the elite. Yep. It's very clever. A lot of, um, yeah, a lot of those little things he puts in this film. Now that main oh, chick in the yeah. movie, Meg Meg uh, Foster, she's man, what an ice queen! What did you think of her too, Stella? I think this might be playing not at normal speed, General. I think this might be a little bit on the slowed down side. Do you think? Uh, it might it just be like why because it's coming over. Um, oh, okay. Skype, this just looks so... a little on the slow. All right, I'm going to play back. Speed. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd say that's why. Meg, uh, what was her name again? Meg Ryan? Foster. Yeah, she's been, she's, she was in quite a few movies as well. She's but... been in heaps of things. Was she in yeah. V, that series V? Because I recognise her think so. a number of things. Right. I think That's so. Not, too, not that yeah. I ever watched it. But she's just got that, that look the... on her face, you know, the oh, piercing eyes, like ice eyes. cold eyes. Yeah. It's that it's that 80s makeup that, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the look of the 80s. Oh, too. big time. Yeah, yeah. The hair, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the makeup, you know, but she's just got this porcelain skin too. Like she's quite flawed. She's a very beautiful woman, but she yeah. just comes across as as cold. Like you don't feel like she doesn't have a warming, you know, comforting look about her. And then I think that actually speaks well to her actual character in the film as well. And we'll talk about that yeah. when it comes across. She's the perfect deceptive woman. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I think so too. Yeah. So we've got Nada. He's um, just blown into town. Walks into um, basically um, a Centrelink, <laughs> the American yeah. version of a Centrelink, <laughs> looking school, for a job, looking for a work, and uh, he's looking for jobs, job vacancies, job opportunities. You know, he's he wants. Here we go, last place of employment, Denver, Colorado. So he's coming all the way in from Denver. He's been there for ten years, and uh, the economy's not doing too well back then in the eighties. Fourteen banks closed in one week. The economy's shit, so he's basically drifting now. He's going from state to state, town to town, looking for work. And this old bitch is like, nah, we got nothing for you. He's like, ah, shit, righto, okay. And this scene I thought was really good when he's, so he then takes off. He's walking through, what did I get a Skype notification for? Sorry, one second. Might have been the chat thing I just put in. <laughs> Yeah, it is, yeah. The preacher. There he is. Yeah, I might try if it'll... I don't know if it'll play back that quick, Stella. Hang on. Uh, just That's what we usually do, just put it on 1.25, because then it's... um You can't really notice it that much, but it just speeds it up. Oh, here we go. Playback that's speed. That's a suggestion. Yeah. Since we're not listening to it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. All right, so he's got... um Comes across this preacher in the middle of a park which you would probably call the prophet, you know what I mean? And in these movies and uh, this particular type of storyline, there's always a prophet of some sort. And the, the things he says are quite telling too. I'll just quickly slide back. They've taken the hearts and minds of our leaders. 
They've recruited the rich and the powerful. They've blinded us to the truth. Our human spirit is corrupted. Why do we worship greed? Outside of the limit of our sight, they're feeding off of us. Perched on top of us from birth to death are our owners. Ain't that the truth? They have us. They control us. They are our masters. Wake up. They're all around you. And then, of course, <laughs> some cops <laughs> roll up. And... The importance of the TV throughout the whole yeah. thing. Look at mm. There we've got the TV. Yeah. Look at the guy just standing there watching TVs in the window, just so, fixed, fixated on it. Totally the dazed. Yeah. yeah. And the cable 54, I know it's not much, but, of course, that adds up to nine, which is always, you know. Oh, that's number. interesting. I never thought of that, yeah. Um, so he finds himself now just sleeping in an alley for the night with some other homeless bums, and he's watching a TV through the window of someone's apartment. Oh, rocking chair. Yeah. Being brainwashed. <laughs> yeah. I just like what he's watching, though, too. This woman talking about, oh, I just want to be famous. That's all I want. I want to be popular and I want this and I want my own talk show. And, you know, I'd never grow old. I'd never die. You know, this is, this is the aspirations of the of the people. You know, it's sort of setting the tone for what humanity is like at this point. I don't know if you saw that, but he looks up and sees a chopper circling in the sky. And as we'll yeah. sort of realize later that um, the choppers aren't really choppers, I think. All right, so he's rocked up at a uh, construction site now, ch chatting to the foreman. Oh, uh, yeah. Look, I found dichotomies and symbolism all through this film. Some really interesting dichotomies, actually. Mm. Now, did you, did, when you watch this, did you get the feeling that he's a bit of a moron or did he, he's quite clever he's got a bit of street smarts like what was your impression of our um our lead nada nada my impression was that he's just an, an average kind of guy like nothing particularly special but um he just happened to think well it was interesting because later on when we see where he discovers the sunglasses he takes them out of a box so it's like he's thinking outside the box he just stopped to think to do that Nice. And so that was the difference. And I love the way, it, like, he's on a construction site as well, because this is like mm -hmm. this is like a controlled demolition. It's like it's a construction site, and and they're all wearing like yellow helmets, which is sort of, you know, yellow is sort of stands for cowards, um, etc. So they're just the plebs plebbing on. <laughs> anyway, right. I'm probably yeah. reading far too much. My, well, I I kind of agree with that. <laughs> I think he he was um he's definitely that's that was the whole point of casting. This type of character is that you know he's just your average general run-of-the-mill kind of guy, mm. you know. Any he's a, he's a nobody, he's an everybody, that sort of thing. But he's quite clever. He's got, yeah, he sees things a little bit differently. He's got his wits about him. I think he's got a bit of street smarts as well, um, and he gets a bit overwhelmed at times because of what's happening. You know, what I mean, imagine what he goes through if it, if it was real life. Of course, um, you know, we'll talk about that as it comes along. But I think he gets a bit overwhelmed at times, but he tries to keep his wits about him. Um, you know, like this this scene, for example. So he's rocked up at this site, and they're like, "Well, this is a the, the guy, the foreman's like, well, this is a union job." You know what I mean? So he's like, "Well, if you're not in a union, you don't get to work." That's how that's basically how it works in the states. Actually, it's starting to get pretty much get that way right now in Australia with the CFMEU and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, so he's like, yeah. So the yeah the foreman's like, "Well, this is a union job." I'll just continue playing it here. 
and he's looking at these guys just, you know, standing around, fucking not doing anything. But he, this <laughs> is where he says, real, he goes, oh, sorry, go. Club. I was just going to say, it's a real club too. The union looks like a bit of a club, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But this is where I think he's got his wits about him, right? So he says, so he knows that the talk, he knows how to talk to talk. He's like, oh, may I speak with the shop steward? So he's respectful. He calls him sir. And the shop steward is obviously the union guy for the site, right? So he's like, he knows the talk. He's like, okay, well, maybe this guy is, he is a union guy, you know? So he's like, may I speak to the shop steward, sir? That's what I mean. So he's kind of clever. And the guy looks at him. Yeah, he's like. So that's sort of, uh, that's union talk, is it? Because I didn't, yeah, I didn't exactly. quite get that bit. Right, yeah, gotcha. that's what that was about, yeah. So that's what makes okay. me think he's not, he's not a dum-dum, like he's clever, you know? Yes. Of yes. course, this one's for the ladies. This is for you, Stella. We got uh, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> I say, I did appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> There's you know, I mean, you're going to use a wrestler, you may as well use a wrestler, you know? Well, exactly. I mean? he's, the guy's fucking cut. He's built, man. He's he's a tough mower. Yeah. That guy looks a little bit inadequate now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the foreman's like, yep, can't sleep on the site. He's like, when do I get paid? He tells him Thursday. He's thinking, shit, I needed some money today. I hope I get like a daily pay. Damn it. And here we see Keith David now coming in. Well, here's another dichotomy. Yeah, they're awesome. great. Yeah, go for it. I'll but, pause it. Oh, no, you don't need to pause. Um, I was just um, just the, another dichotomy just from the very beginning, the fact that the two main characters, you know, there's a black white guy and a black guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's all symbol- symbolic, and and here's the black guy helping out the white guy as well. So that's yeah. another thing, you know. Oh, you're homeless. I can help you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he tries to help him, and he's like, doesn't give him much, doesn't respond, because he's unsure. You know, like he's drifted. He's doesn't know. You, you, you can't just trust everybody, right? So this is what I mean. Like he's sees this guy coming up, offering him help, and he's like, oh, I'm a bit wary. You know, like oh, maybe he's been done before. So he's a bit curious about. Didn't answer him, didn't respond, but he starts following him. And they have this little, little interaction that's coming up here, you know, following him <laughs> down the street. He's still, he's, yeah, he's about is, 10 paces behind. <laughs> this is David the classic line him. moment, the first classic yeah. line moment. Yep. Yeah. So Keith David's like, I don't like anybody following me unless I know why. I don't turn up with anybody until I see where he's going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a classic. It's a good line, yeah. It's like they had a wisdom off. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, he's, he's got street smarts, you know what I mean? He's pretty clever. He's not well, a dumb we, we, we hear about why a little bit later, but I won't spoil that. Yes, that's right, yeah. So they've arrived at the shanty town now. And it's basically... This, <laughs> this is what I like about this film. What we're seeing right now in this scene... I've just paused it there for the listeners, uh, for the viewers... This scene right now, it's basically showing this like a like a park, probably uh, what do you reckon, two acres maybe, and it's like you know cardboard huts and fucking a beat up van, a beat up truck. You got tin like the corrugated iron tarps, you know garbage all over the place, that sort of thing. This you could get correct. You could take this scene right now and go to LA right now, and you'll see this exact (laughs) scene right now. This is what it's like in LA right now with tent cities, homeless everywhere. It's exactly the same. This is what I mean. It's okay. the parallels from this time to now. It's almost exact. Uh, it's more than uh, just LA. It's all over the place. San well, Francisco, correct. It's all Portland. over the place. But seeing as this was filmed in LA, that was the uh, yeah, yeah, right. the intent for that. So here we go. We meet our um, another main character, here, Gilbert. This guy's I'm pretty. To think uh, where I'd seen that guy before. He's been. He's been in a few '80s movies as well. Yeah. yeah. 
There we go. Let's get something to eat. Help us out and we'll look after you, that kind of impression. They all line up for a bit of bit of chow. This is basically sort of the well, the dissidents really, isn't it? The ones on the outside of the wall, so to speak. Yeah, pretty much. This is how the outsiders. Yeah. Well, what I do like is it's the look at them, the you know, they they're smiling, no one's pushing in, they're, they're you know, they're looking after each other, they're feeding each other. You know, it's, it's community in a sense too. Like these people look after each other. Yeah. So we got Keith, David, and and Nada talking a bit about their background. We learned a bit about Frank, his character here. So the steel companies have gone bust. You know, the workers helped them when they needed it, but they turned their backs on them. How often do we hear this this type of thing happening throughout time? Big companies, corporations turning their backs on the workers. Uh, that um, quote that they just said, the golden rule, is that he who has the gold oh, makes up the oh, rules. Oh, I should have paused it. That's a great line. Yeah, say yeah. that again for the listeners there, Stella. Keith David says this line. Go for, yeah, go so, for it, sorry. Uh, Frank says, the golden rule, he who has the gold makes the rules, which I, <laughs> I looked up the, the origin of that, and there's sort of it's hard to pinpoint an actual origin, but it was made um, fairly famous by uh, in 1965 in the cartoon The Wizard of Id, if anyone remembers The Wizard of Id. Um, yeah, which I thought was also interesting because it struck me, oh, the Wizard of ID. Wow. <laughs> okay. uh, there you go. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's a good quote. It means, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quote it was also right uh, also quoted in the Netflix miniseries, uh, Edgar Allan Poe's The Fall of the House of Usher, right. which, um, which was about a corrupt pharmaceutical CEO, funnily enough. Yeah, there you go. Interesting little ties. It's been a lot of Here we go. Name of the game. Sorry, Andy. There's been a lot of farmers like like uh, really running down pharmaceutical um, industry on uh, Netflix in the last six months or so. I see. Oh, mm. Interesting. Yeah. But that, um, yeah. Well, the tide's House turning. Asher isn't it? was amazing. Fall of the House of Asher. You saw that? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Yeah. And that OxyContin oh. thing. Did you see that? No, I, I don't have Netflix, so I don't watch telly either. <laughs> so I don't see anything. Oh, okay. It's like a miracle for me to watch a movie. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> well, here we go. So Frank's setting the tone a little bit here too, um, where he says, um, I'll just go back a second here. The name of the game is Make It Through Life. Only everyone is out for themselves and looking to do you in. You do what you can, but I'm going to do my best to blow your ass away. And that's, it's sort of indicative of the time back then, you know, but it kind of, to me, it's a bit contradictive though of where they are now, where everyone's helping each other in this little community, you know what I mean? Like they're feeding each other, they're helping, you know, here's a place to stay, you know, like they're looking out for each other. So it's not really like, he's, it's almost like he's saying the real world is how everyone's out for each other. But when you, when you break it down to, little tribal groups like we are the homeless the the, the people that you know are struggling that's that's community everyone looks after each other there's this this sort of this parallel again of these two different sort of ways of the world where the world works yeah i think it just you know yeah. comes down to people realize that they need each other for survival when it comes down to it because that's not right. everybody can do everything so we are we are fingers and members of a body absolutely so they spend the night here now. It's late. Our it's boy exactly, Nada is. 
sorry, I was just going to say, which is exactly the opposite of what they what they tried to do. I mean, the, the, they tried to separate us, you know, six feet apart and all this kind of crap. That's so right. Obviously, you know, it's the opposite of what needs to be. Mm. State the obvious. Here we go. So I'm going to, or oh, I'll just go back. Actually, no, I'll keep it going. I'll pause it again when it comes up. But so they're in the camp. They've got a little TV. You see these two homeless guys watching them, watching the little TV. And now here we go. The broadcast <laughs> is broken. How imp- I'll, 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 I'll do these lines for the, for the listeners now, right? So this is what comes across on the TV. You got a guy in glasses and it, um, he breaks the transmission. Our impulses are being redirected. We're living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep. He's like, God damn hacker, this is the second time tonight this asshole's cut in. The movement began eight months ago by a group of scientists. They discovered accidentally these signals being sent. That thing's giving me a headache. Must have took him months to figure out how to do this. The underclass is growing. Human rights are non-existent. In their repressive society, we are their unwitting accomplices. And as this is going, I like this bit here, as this mm. is being broadcast on the TV, the, the preacher, the blind preacher, is also in this camp. And he's in the background, and he's mouthing the words to this because he knows the words. He knows what's That's being said. very clever. Very, yeah, very, it's very clever. clever. He's just mouthing it. He's not saying it out loud. He's just mouthing the words. <laughs> Their intention to rule rests with the annihilation of consciousness. We have been lulled into a trance. They have made us indifferent to ourselves and to others. We are focused only on our own gain. (laughs) They are are safe as long as they are not discovered. That is their primary method of survival. Keep us asleep. Keep us selfish. Keep us sedated. And then you got the homeless bum, changes the channel, blow it out your ass, he says, looking at the TV. Now, just before we go on, I'll talk about the, uh, before I talk about this homeless guy. Um, interesting, uh, that, that, whole, that whole speech by that scientist then, again, translate that to what is happening that we see in our everyday lives right now. This is one of the reasons why I say this movie just works. It works because it, it is, indicative of like he saw this but john carpenter you know he scripted this he saw this happening back then in the 80s but my god fast forward 40 years and it's happening right now everything he just said in that little speech about what the upper class is doing to us trying to keep us down trying to keep us sedated it's bread and circuses like it's just crazy i mean guys you two i'll throw to andy first does that make that whole speech does that make sense to you can you do you agree can you just transcribe that everything what he just said to, to today's date it makes much more sense today than what it made in 88 mm, mm. that's for sure so you know whoever whoever created this movie is a bit of a visionary i think again mm. same reason why it's cold classic stella what's your thoughts on that little speech there uh, I think I'm a lot more cynical than you guys. I believe that I like I haven't looked into John Carpenter much, but I think he might be, you know, he's part of the agenda in like whether he knows it or not. Um, this is more than just a guy who's got a fairly good idea of what's going on and someone who's made observations. This is a guy who's 
there to make movies for a certain reason because as we know it's been a long-term plan where this is nothing new what's happening now it's been planned out it's just the execution basically yeah interesting that's what take. i believe do you, do you think then perhaps your point of view could you almost call that basically revelation of the method yes absolutely 100 yeah. percent. interesting i like that i like that take all right now before we go on so this I think that's what hollywood guy, that's that's what hollywood's there for Oh yeah. Uh, Apart from making money out of our entertainment, it's a, but it's it's yeah. primarily to yeah to steer the it's masses. About, yeah, exactly. Social it's engineering. Casting, yeah, social engineering, casting spells on us, all that sort of stuff. Hollywood, yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah, um, Hollywood. 100%. There was the was the um the the witch's you know wand. It's made yeah, from exactly Hollywood. Right. That's exactly why they called it Hollywood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So this homeless guy, I paused on the screen here now. Keep an eye. Keep remember his face, right? Because. You'll come across this guy at the towards the very end, the last sort of ten minutes of the movie, um, and he's also, funnily enough, just a bit of trivia here. This is the same homeless guy from Back to the Future um, when Marty comes back, and uh, there's the guy, Brad, I think his name is. He's like the homeless guy sleep on the park bench, and he gets up and he's like, "What the hell?" Yeah, and Marty jumps over him and stuff. That's the same, actually, the same actor and pretty much the same character, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> I, I actually didn't notice this guy earlier in the film until I watched it the second time. Same. Started, I, yeah, exactly right. Exactly okay. the same. Yep, I was exactly and, the same. Actually, funnily and, enough, too, when I – so I go, you were going to say something. I was just going to say, I think later um, he's sort of – I think he might be kind of alluding towards Richard Branson. That's, that oh, was what I got. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I like it. I could kind of see that, actually, to be honest. Um yeah, funnily enough, I wanted to tell this story too, and I kind of forgot, but it just reminded me when I saw this guy. So when I when I first saw this movie, it would have been, so 1988 it came out, which is cinemas. Back then, it used to take about between two to three years for cinema movies to make it to free-to-air television back in the day. So it would have been about mm. 90, 91 when I first saw this movie, right? But I, my dad, so my, my brother and I, we had a bedtime, obviously, when we were, when we were pretty young. So 91, I was... 11, I think. 12, something like that. I can't fucking remember. <laughs> anyway, um, so we were, had a bedtime. We had, to, we had to go to bed at 8.30 at night, you know. That was it, bedtime, off you go. But I used to sneak out because I knew my dad liked to stay up watching movies and he, he would put this on because my mum would be either playing tennis or something that night or particular nights and just so happened she wasn't at home. I remember sneaking out down the hallway. My dad was sitting in the couch and I got down on my stomach and I crawled pretty much under the couch. So I was sitting like <laughs> under him, under the couch. And I sat there like on my stomach with my, you know, you, you rest your head on your, on your hands, you know, and your chin sort of on your hands. And I'm sitting there watching this movie. And I, I, to me back then it didn't click. I was just, that was something I used to do was sneak out and watch movies that my dad was watching and stuff. And that was my first time watching this movie, you know? And I, I always remembered, I always remembered the aliens in this and all this sort of stuff. And I never saw it again until uh, probably like, shit like 2010 or something when i it was on foxtel one time and i was like oh yeah i ended up watching it i know it would have been earlier than that so it would have been about 2002 actually um yeah and i remember seeing it on foxtel and then never saw it again of course until probably a few couple of years ago when i watched it again uh, looked it up but yeah that was my first time actually watching this movie <laughs> pretty funny um all right so the bum turns off the tv old mate nada had been watching it this is where i think you know, he's indicative of his character he's got his wits about him he notices things you know he's not like everyone else he blows into mm. town and things are new he spots things he sees people so he sees the preacher arguing with with gilbert and they take him off over to the other side of the street to the church 
It's interesting, isn't it, how they've got this sort of, you know, down and out type camp and yet they've still got their electricity and television. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The most important thing. Yeah, so Nara, yeah, he sees him having a bit of an argument. He's like, what's going on here? Blind, that was a blind preacher. Correct, yeah, the blind preacher and Gilbert, who we also met in the camp. And uh, hey, he thinks nothing of it. All right, we'll let that go, he says. Next day, we'll probably fast forward a little bit here. Um, actually, just skip. There we go. So yeah, here's what he says. He says to Gilbert, he says, yeah, choir practice was a bit late last night. Gilbert's like, ah, yeah, the church, ah, they let us use the kitchen, you know. Till four in the morning, he says. Yeah, we, we take care of a lot of people here. But you see how he starts questioning things. You know, he's like, what's what's going on? He's, he notices shit, you know. He's mm. All yeah, the other people in the camp don't really say a word. Yeah, he's observant, you know what I mean? He picks up on little things. This is why I think he's got street smarts. So here comes the broadcast again, middle of the day, you know, all in the morning. And And he's not sitting there in front of the telly all the time either. Yeah, that's right. So the homeless bum, you know, he's like, ah, whinging, they're breaking through again. Talking about how the signal must be shut off at the source. And this this broadcast that they're breaking in seems to give people a headache when they're doing it too, which is kind of like because they've been lulled into this, you know, the, the signals, the frequencies, it's been getting to them and they're, they're usually asleep. And this is starting to sort of, this signal of breaking through is waking them up a bit and they, people get a bit of headache when they're watching it. Yeah, well, it's about the frequencies coming through the television, which, you know, I mean, I've done a few, um, or I've mentioned in a few podcasts about the patents for all the Correct. technologies. I'm sure you know about the limb. Um, yeah, yeah, all the flash rates and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so that, was mainly, that was mainly the CRT TVs, but um, Correct. they've yeah. found other ways to do it now anyway. Oh, if, they're, if they're technology. true, I mean, those, those patents themselves could even be a PSYOP, who knows? <laughs> Well, just because you, someone files a patent also doesn't mean that it's necessarily in use as well. It just means Correct. that they've filed a patent to use that technology if they want to. So, yeah. That's right. And that no one else can actually copy it. And if they do, they can sue them. That's it's it's A lot of that was all based on litigation. It was all, that's what the, the patent office was about, was stopping. It was copywriting is all it was, really. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, I mean, if there's high tech, um, you know, secret technology that they're not about to put it onto public information, I don't think. No, same Even way, though they right. should. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Nardo notices Gilbert was viewing that transmission and it got cut off short, so he sees Gilbert run across back to the church and uh, Nardo's like, uh, let's get on here. I'm going to go and suss this out. Here's the singing. There's church choir singing in the background, folks, and yeah, Nardo kind of nonchalantly walks up to the doorway. He's sussing it out. He's got the old toothpick in his mouth which was very popular back in the day <laughs> for characters and movies. You had, if you were tough, you had a toothpick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he walks into church and there's no one in there. He sees a bit of a lab set up. You know, he's got the hot plate. He's got some coils. There's jars with different liquids and chemicals. And he sees sunglasses, pardon me, sunglasses sitting there as well. Interesting. So the little manufacturing thing here we go sign on the wall they live we sleep <laughs> and there's yeah, the tape real recorder. Real. yeah all real to real tape yeah. recorder yep attached to some speakers and that's the church so there's no actual choir in the church no singing it's just a tape recorder and they've got a meeting here of the people that are sort of i guess the rebellion 
people in the know talking about how these signals, it's not working. They're getting blocked. The aliens are blocking. They're jamming their transmissions. Talking about how I'd they like need to, to dump the uh, the sunglasses, put the put the the delivery on the streets. I'm not sure who that uh, portrait is that's on the wall behind them. Yeah, it was, I don't know what it that was either. It yeah. wasn't Jesus. Yeah, it's <laughs> a weird Jesus one. I couldn't suit. work that out either. Um, so here we go. So they, all these guys, the the rebels, the terrorists, the people who are actually doing the transmissions are having a bit of an argument, and old Nada stumbles in backwards into a bit of a secret compartment in the wall. Uh, what do we got here? What's this? More boxes. Okay, now the other guys are talking about recruiting more people. Nada's trying to work out what the hell's going on here. This is weird. He puts the... Oh, I like this part. This part scared me when I first watched it. Puts the... <laughs> it did me too. <laughs> yeah. Puts the wood panels back. Here we go. Turns around. Oh! <laughs> Here's the preacher. Starts feeling his face. Let me touch your face, he says. Now, give me your hands. Neighborhood watch, and he's a blind guy. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, you're a working man. Okay. Easy to creep away from a blind man. Yeah. This world may have blinded me. But the Lord lets me see. Yeah, that's back, another classic says. line. Yeah. Again, he You'll sees another chopper You'll flying around. Just happens to be circling above the camp again. Freaks out. Freaks out our uh, our other people in the church. And it's the police. Says it quite plainly. Yep. Just skip forward a little bit here. So Roddy's now keeping an eye on him with a pair of binoculars. I was inside there. Full of boxes and lab set up. I was just no noticing um, John Carpenter actually had a bit of a, uh, a like, well, he was very fond of H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, okay. And uh, he actually named Frank, Frank Armitage, this, this character, the black gentleman. Um, out of a sort of a nod to an H.P. Lovecraft character. Oh, there you go. Okay. Hmm. Now, this is indicative of, of Frank, who doesn't really know what's going on. He just tries to, you know, mind his own business. He's like, leave it alone. It's none of our business, you know. Frank likes to keep the wool pulled over his eyes. Frank's got a family and a wife and kids. That's right. He's got too much to lose. I got a job. Here we go. Here's another great line. I'm walking a white line all the time. I don't bother nobody. Nobody bothers me. You should do the same. Here's, here's a really good line now. Here we go. So, Roddy, the line, white line's in the middle of the road. That's the worst place to drive. <laughs> I love these fucking lines he comes up with. Yeah, right? they're classics. So he's basically saying, you know, if you're in the middle of the road, you're on the fence. Yeah, he's like, pick a side. That's yeah. basically what he's telling him to do. You can't drive in the middle of the road. That's the worst place to be. Pick a side, he's saying. <laughs> Moral of the scene is pick a side. So now we got Rowdy Roddy Peeper, I mean uh, Piper, um, <laughs> spying on this church still. <laughs> Funnily enough, right, so there's a Simpsons episode where they where they actually reference Rowdy Roddy Piper. And um, 
and, but they call him Rowdy Roddy Peeper. And it's just funny that that's what, that's what he's doing right now is he's peeping on, he's like a peeping Tom. Yeah, it's just funny. Good old Simpsons. So Roddy's, he's keeping an eye on this church. And here we go. The cops show up. Helicopter again. And the guys in the church all scatter. I'm going to just skip forward a little bit here to where the invasion starts here. So basically, this little camp now, the cops rock up. They've got bulldozers. And you notice how the cops, you know, it kind of reminds me of like the the Melbourne riots. You know, the, uh, when the cops down there, they had the riot mask, the riot gears on. They're faceless. You know, you can't see who these people are. White hats. You know, yep. Just beaten <laughs> down on the on the homeless people. This actually happened around. in America too. The ones that the one that happened in uh, Victoria was just that was fairly mild. But this actually happened in America, I believe. Well, there you go. I yeah. remember seeing it with with equipment like this. Wow. Okay. You know what it reminds me of too is when you imagine when like whenever a host nation who's got the Olympics, like China yeah. and all these other like Paris. You, all these areas where all the homeless are, this I think this is what they do. They come in, they just fucking, yeah, get rid of these homeless people. We can't have you here when we got the Olympics on. You know, we need to look like we we take care of our people. Well, they <laughs> I just imagine did this is the sort of shit they do a couple of weeks before. <laughs> That's exactly what they do. They just did that in um, San Francisco too when Xi Jinping um, yeah, there you go. visited Biden. Hmm. Yeah. That's that's why I picture when I see when I see these dignitaries and things coming to other nations, getting rid of the homeless. Yeah, a couple of nights before, get the bulldozers in, get rid of the tent tent cities and the shanty towns. So they all flee. Randy really makes it out of there. They scatter. This is an interesting like scene here. I, I had a I had a couple of notes about this scene. Yeah, all right, so I'll just to describe the scene for the folks. So the guy who's on the broadcast is getting beat the fuck down by these cops, you know, and also the preacher is also getting beat down as well. Now, um, what were you going to say with this one here, Stella? Yeah, um, <clears throat> sorry, just having a cough there. Um, yeah, so the forces are, are beating the dissident voice, which was, yeah, as you said, coming over the telly. That's the, the guy that was broadcasting um, and mm. the blind preacher. Again, a black and white dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, at it, during the process of being beaten, the um, the blind guy is recited. Well, the preacher is reciting the Lord's Prayer, the twenty third Psalm. Um, and it's just like to me, it was a sort of symbolic of truth being the first casualty of war, because it was it, it's like an assault on religion and God, like, and um, yeah, you know, the I dissident like obviously so truth and and religion. Um, but yeah, another another interesting dichotomy. Yeah, and that, I think that's evident. that Doesn't, definitely comes across. Yeah, it's sort of basically saying also that it's it's not about race to them, to him. It's yeah, not about that's race. right. Like, you know, even yeah. though it's made out as if, oh, Black Lives Matter and, you know, equality, they don't give a shit about race. It's just a way to divide us and make us fight with each other. So this sort yeah. of was an example of that. Yeah, and they'll, they'll beat, up on, beat up on anyone they want to. But I, th- I thought it was interesting how, you know, and this is, again, reminds me of why he's – He's not a coward. He's quite clever, our, our Nana, our protagonist, because he sees them doing this. And he's like, I am well outnumbered here. There's nothing I can do to help in this situation. I could, if I tried to get involved, I would get beat the fuck up as well. As, as much as he can handle, as we will find out later, he can handle himself, he would get destroyed by these guys. So he backs away. Yep, and they're all armed. Correct, not... they're all armed. So he but finds then... a little... Yep, then he comes along to uh, the youth. This is symbolic of the youth. Um, so the youth is sort of cowering. They're cornered because, you know, yeah. 
They fucked up. The youth is fucked yep. because of what's going on, basically. That's sort of symbolic of that. So, yes, he held out his hand and gave him a hand because he knew he yep. could help him. That's right. Helps this one fella, little young fella, escape. Leaves him with uh, another family that's in this little, ho- this little old abandoned apartment. Yes, that was an interesting thing. He hasn't quite got there yet, but... Yeah, so Nada leaves the youth in the capable hands of a couple, mm. a man and a woman, you know, like the fundamental family. Yep. There they are. <laughs> I mean, like, again, another, <laughs> I think this is, I think that's just commentary. So we've got this black man, he's like, come in, join the party, man. He's obviously stoned out of his mind. But it's. I think that's more commentary on what, America was going through at the time, whereas, you know, the epidemic of drugs and stuff, and you've got this guy, he's high as a kite, doesn't give a fuck what's going on, really, he's just chilling out, <laughs> smoking some weed. Well, it's also, it's yet another dichotomy, because in the same room, you've got the, you know, the family unit in the corner, then, yeah. in the corner, again, then you've got this guy, that's, uh, it's like the, the opposite of the family mm. unit, it's just a drugged out dude. Black man, of course. Yeah. Did somebody start World War Three. It's like I'm so out of it, I didn't notice. <laughs> yeah. There's the family cowering in the corner, looking to Nada, nothing, for hope. <laughs> mm. Nada's just watching outside. So here we go. Flick forward to the next day. Funnily enough, the TV in the homeless camp survives because that's. Yeah, they, they don't want to get rid of the TV. That's part of their control. Yeah. So I, I actually thought people were like, I had the TV survived. I'm like, well, they wouldn't destroy the TV because TVs help with keeping them suppressed and stuff. So and lulled into this state of obedience. So, of course, they won't destroy the TV. There's also a couple of just here. Can we pause this here? Oh, yep. just that uh, shot. Back at, that's right. That's that particular shot, if you can. Yeah, this there. That'll do. It's interesting. I, I don't know whether it was intentional or not, but um, it, the, net, the, the wide shot. Yeah, it's coming up. I'll I'll flick in a second. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's that. interesting how um he walks up and then he stands directly in between the two pillars. Oh, I didn't notice that. Good pick, which is two palm trees. But yeah, they look like two big pillars. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the what is it? Ju- I can never remember their juxtaposition. Names, you know, no, the. Uh, They've got names, and I should know it, damn it. I just can't think of them at the moment. Jacqueline and Jacob or something like that, the two pillars. Anyway, right, okay. maybe, maybe Andy might know. And also just to the left, there's sort of like a, I think that's sort of Freemasony, but it goes back before then. Oh, and yes, also, yes, yes. Also, it's interesting, just to the left there, there's a telegraph pole. It looks like a cross as well, but, you know, that could be also coincidence. But <laughs> mm. it's very it's also, squared off against the building. If you want to notice, too, with the two pillars and Roddy standing between them as well, not that he's wearing a, a, a straight-up black-and-white checkered shirt, but it kind of looks a little bit like that in that scene like because it's kind of dusty and you can't quite see, but you see that kind of pattern, like the Masonic pattern as well that you used to see between on the floor between the pillars and stuff. You would see the Masonic yeah. black-and-white checker pattern, yeah, the duality. Um, mm-hmm. All right, we'll, we'll keep going here. So he's back at the camp. The camp's raided. People are picking up scraps uh, and stuff. Another dichotomy, just that picture of the fashion show, like the blue and orange, they're the opposites on the colour wheel. So it's just all these uh, dichotomies all the way through. Yep, yeah, nice. So he heads back over to the church because he sees a bit of smoke coming out and the church has been trashed. He's like, ah, shit, what do we do here? What's going on? 
It's all gone. Everything they had there was pretty much gone. Everything else is trashed. They've painted over the They Live, We Sleep on the Wall. So covering up. Censorship. Let's censorship. Censorship. That's right. He goes back into the stash, finds another box, finds that box he saw before. He's like, oh, this was obviously important. I'm going to take this box. So he makes his way out of the church. Interesting how they left one box. I suppose they had to leave in a hurry. Maybe that's why. Mm. Taking the box into a dark alley where he's all alone. He's in the city now. He's sort of made his way out of this little park area into the back streets, back alleys of the actual L.A. Kneels down, rips open the box, and he's like, what the fuck? Sunglasses? He's like, surely I was going to see drugs or or money or some sort of stash. He's rifling through the box. It's like, just fucking sunnies. He's like, what the hell were these guys doing making sunglasses? He's like, what the? He's just trying to work it out. You know what I mean? Because he takes one, one pair. But see, he's streetwise, so he realizes there must be something about them. So he doesn't just discard them. That's right. He actually stashes them in a trash can, covers them up. Mm, Even he's even right then. There's that scene right there. He's he's even considering actually chucking that one pair, and he goes, "No, I'm going to hold it." And he he holds it in his hand. He thinks twice. You know, again, bit of a street smart. Here we go. Here we go. Here's the iconic scene. Puts on the glasses. He's like, what the fuck? Everything (laughs) is like, goes grayscale, like black and white. You know what I mean? There's that dichotomy again. I know it's grayscale, but you can say it's black and white. But here we go. Sees the billboard. Obey. It was a a billboard for a computing ad, a computer ad. Puts back on. Obey. I love the the dichotomy that sunglasses are actually shedding the light. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah, nice. Here we go, billboard. Come to the Caribbean with a beautiful woman in a bikini. Yeah, marry and reproduce, it says. I love it. It's like, what the fuck? He's, am I going crazy here? You know, I can see him. He's he's tortured with this. He's like, what the hell is going on? This is bizarre. You can imagine how he's feeling this. He's looking at the glasses like, what, what is going on here? Here we go. He sees a sign. A Mises men's apparel. Any signs. Hmm. No independent thought. <laughs> Consume. On the door, and it says closeout sale when he takes them off. So, yeah, every sign he sees, every written word everywhere is another, is a hidden message, a subliminal message behind what's actually printed. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Every magazine comes All in black and white. Fast newsstand. Yep, black and white. That's because later on it's it's revealed that it's actually them that are colorizing. So he sees, he, obviously, we see just a typical newsstand, magazines all over the place. He's picking one up, and every message, every page has a hidden message in it. Stay asleep, obey, buy, do not question authority, watch TV, no imagination. Yeah, these are those those messages that we, you can basically see, this is what it's doing to us, you know. I did wonder if go. this, this there it is. Here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pause it right there on that face. <laughs> That's so I love it. So for the for the people who aren't aren't watching this, just for the listeners, if you basically imagine a skull that's had the skin removed, still got sort of like flesh and you know the teeth and the jaw and these weird eyes and stuff, that's kind of what these aliens are actually look like. It's um, a little bit hard to describe, but they're very iconic. No other no other 
you know, producer, writer, director, filmmaker has ever made an alien that's, that looks anything like this. You know what I mean? There's never, it's not the atypical gray or something, you know, little gray man or green man or whatever. It's this weird looking alien creature. It's almost reptilian in a sense, I would say. Yeah, it's sort of almost a little bit robotic as well, a little bit. <laughs> and he's freaking out. He's like, look at him. He's like, what's your problem, man? You look at the look on, on Nada's face. He's like, what the fuck, man? He's like, I'll put the glasses back on. The guy pays for his paper. He turns back around. He stares at him with that alien face, and he's like freaking out. There's actually a continuity error here. <laughs> oh, is there? No, tell me. Yeah. Okay, watch. Just keep watching because it's coming up. Watch the guy in his newspaper when he gets to the car. Watch it. Now watch the next shot. It's actually a different paper, but anyway. <laughs> oh, was it? Oh, I actually missed that. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's not. Really, I don't think it was intentional. It was actually a continuity thing. Now, this is what I, I like this do. part here. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. So this part here is good. Um, and this is, I think this is a good commentary on what society is like these days. So the guy, the new stand owner walks up. He's like, hey, man, you going to buy that? You know? And Nada looks at his hand without the glasses. He sees money. And then he puts the glasses back on. And he's holding these bits of paper that says, this is your God. <laughs> I loved it. I thought that was great. I thought that was well done. This is your God. Obey. It's all about money. It's all about, well, you know, just that's the focus in life. The love of money is the root of all evil. That's right. So pay for your magazine or put it back. So now he's just in that state of shock, you know what I mean? So There's also a book behind him too on that book rack that says something about ESP. I only just saw that then. Okay. Anyway. So now we have a hidden little um, little radar dish thing broadcasting. system? Mess. Yeah, isn't that – Isn't that um... – you know, uh, like today's world. That's right, Eddie. I was about to say. On top of infrastructure. Yeah, so on top of a telephone pole or traffic light or whatever, we see this little mm. thing broadcasting sleep, sleep, sleep. But yeah. I like what you're saying there, Andy. It's very indicative of what we see nowadays, especially with like the ULES zones in like the UK and stuff. Yeah, where they're all cameras yeah. watching everyone and it's all about that. You're being watched, you're being surveilled, whereas that. This one, the only, the only difference I think is this is it's hidden from people, but it's broadcast. It's still broadcasting a message. This one's saying sleep, sleep, sleep. Whereas the ULES cameras and that, it's broad that that message that that's broadcasting to people is you're being watched, and we know, and you know, we want you to know you're being watched. Whereas this one's more hidden. So he sees an alien, you know, mixed in with humans, getting their hair done, talking. They're your friends. They're everyone. They're anyone you might know. Could be an alien all around us. Mm. It's like the where the Bible says, um, "Beware, you may be entertaining an angel." It's like, well, "Beware, you may be entertaining an alien." Mm. <laughs> this is a good scene too. <laughs> I love the way he's, he's walking just, now. It's yeah. like he's just so blown away, he can't even walk properly. <laughs> he's in absolute state of shock, and that's what I mean. Like I love it. Like this guy, like, yeah, he's a wrestler. You know what I mean? He's he's yeah, never a, a bit overacted, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, so he's. He's just doing that sort of wrestling stumble, like he's been hit over the head a couple of times. He's about to stumble yeah. into the ropes, you know. So he's stumbling into a little um, convenience store, little supermarket. It's got, you know, obviously all the signs, stay asleep, consume, everything. Everything has a hidden message on it, even the loaves of bread, you know what I mean? He spots a few of the aliens in there because they're all over the place. They're mixed in among us, hidden in, hidden in plain sight, basically. 
But he's got the glasses. He's got the eyes to see. Mm. He's just getting like, fucking hell, this, they're everywhere. These things are everywhere. Oh, here we go. This is great. So this guy, yeah. there, you go, the, the, <laughs> it's a good scene. So this normal guy, this non, non-alien, is talking to an alien. He does obviously, he's one of his mates or co-workers, and he's like, I'm so depressed. What do I do? Alien says, go for it, man. Easy for you to say. You got the promotion. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that, so that's indicative of what these aliens are like. You know, we, we come across that later in the film too. About, you know, they've, they've reached these upper echelons. They look at, these aliens are all looking after each other. That's why the guy's exactly. like, easy for you to say, you got the promotion. <laughs> exactly. Here we go. So now he looks at the TV, and of course, this is an iconic. Everyone knows this image: the politician up on the up on the podium doing a speech. A big obey. He's an alien. And here we go. We have the revelation. We're with uh, with Roddy now, looking at the TV. <laughs> he laughs. <laughs> he just looks at the TV and says, it figures it'd be something like this. <laughs> Fucking aliens controlling us. <laughs> I love it. Oh. This old woman bumps into him. You know. <laughs> Great line. You look like your head fell in the cheese dip back in 1957. <laughs> like it's such an 80s movie line. Like it's just, it's so dumb, but it's so funny. It's just classic. I love it. It's just one of those cult things. And she's so shocked. Oh, my God. How could you say that to me? Looks at another human being. You, you're okay. This one, real fucking ugly. I, I take these glasses off. She looks like a regular person. Put them back on. Formaldehyde face. <laughs> I know. I love that one. i got to remember that oh, one. <laughs> such a good line. I love it. I love these lines. They're great. So, get out of here. I'll call the cops. You need a Brazilian plastic surgeon. <laughs> Why a yeah, Brazilian? So here we go. Here's another revelation part here. So she talks into her watch. We've got one that can see. And he's like, oh, shit. And now all those other aliens that were in the store are now talking into their watches and walking, giving descriptions of our, pro, of our uh, protagonist. So. He backs out of the store. The... Back the street. Yep, uh... sorry, go. I was just going to say, Boaz, Boaz and Sharkin, I'm not really sure how to say it. But anyway, that's the two pillars I was trying to think of. Boaz and oh. Sharkin, according to the Bible, were two copper, brass, and bronze pillars which stood on the porch of Solomon's temple. Uh, blah, 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 Freemasonry, blah, blah, blah. Yep. <laughs> so he sees an alien, you know, priming herself in their reflection, and he's like, that's like pouring perfume on a pig. <laughs> Another great line. Like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's full of them. I love it. This is our. This is the wrestler lingo coming out. Here we go. Now the cops it's, drag, this, drag him into the alleyway. There's so many great lines for t-shirt merch. Oh, big time. So the cops know. Obviously, you can see that the cops are aliens, and he's like, "Where'd you get those glasses?" Tooth fairy says. <laughs> Here we go. Another cop. Both aliens. <laughs> Did you cut yourself shaving this morning? Like, just the one line as he's coming out with, man, it's awesome. You know, he's just giving it to these guys. Uh... Oh, okay. No worries, Andy. Andy's going to head off, guys. Thanks. Sorry, Andy. 
All good, guys. No worries at all. We'll, right. we'll talk soon, General. Yeah. No worries. Stella and I will we'll, we'll plow ahead. Yeah, no nice worries, to meet man. you, Andy. Yeah, likewise, Stella. Chat to you guys soon. See you, bud. Bye. See you, man. Bye. All right, so the alien says, yeah, you look as shitty to us as we do to you. <laughs> a bit of duality there. So a good little fight scene coming up here. Cops there with his hand ready to go on the pistol. Basically trying to talk him down here. Let's go someplace quiet so we can talk this over. Here comes the wrestling move. Bang! Clothesline! Yeah. <laughs> Everything he does here is straight out of WWF. I love it. The he kick, shines the here, doesn't he? <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, this is, he's in his element now, old uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Bang! Just blows one of the cops away. Yeah, he's, a, he's, you know, he's got a bit of cheese, but I think that was intentional. But he, oh, he's a pretty yeah. good actor, actually. Really. Yeah, he's all right. Yeah, for what he – for again, for – and that's the thing. Rowdy Roddy Piper, this was the first – of any wrestler to actually then feature in a motion in a major motion picture. So right. he set the bar for the rest of them to start doing it. So yeah, he was the, yeah, yeah. he led the way. Yeah. Um, so he says he sh shoots when he's like, you bastards died just like we do. And then he gets beamed on the back of the head by one of the other guys and shoots the other cop. I love this scene here. This is so eighties, right? So he goes straight to the cop car, grabs the shotgun, <laughs> walks out into the middle of the street, basically <laughs> with a bandolier and a gun Shotgun in hand. Oh, the, here, he's the, here is the line of the movie. This is the line of the movie. This Andy, you left at the line. wrong time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he stumbles backwards into a bank. I don't think he realizes it was a bank when he did. He just sort of stumbles in looking to get out of the way from these cops, right? Mm. And here it comes. He's standing in the middle of a bank. Sees a few aliens among the people here. It's like when people, you know, they walk into a pub in the old uh, Westerners. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. Stops, and everyone stops. You know, yeah, the music stops. Yeah, that's all right. Saloon doors. Are... <laughs> all right, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to see if this works. I'm going to put my headphones just over the top of the mic for a second so they can hear this line. <laughs> Here we go. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. All out of bubblegum. <laughs> Did that work by any chance? It was a little low. Probably need to repeat it. Uh, okay. <laughs> I tried it's to put it's it worth line. repeating. It's worth repeating. It's a great line. So he walks into the bank. He just, he just all of a sudden, he's now he's now the macho man. I have come here. Here we go. I'll just rewind it because I'll just play it again. So many aliens. I'll say it when he says it. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, as far as lines in movie goes, there's not many that come then can compare. Like I'll be no. back from Arnold Schwarzenegger and a few lines, you know. Like, but that's one of the iconic mo movie lines of all time. It is. However, I have never heard anyone repeat it. <laughs> uh, well, there are uh, there are some old like there's TV shows and um, cartoons, and it's it has right. been used a lot in pop culture as well and things. Yeah, okay. it, it 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 has done the rounds for sure. Um, and of course, you know the bank's going to be full of all these aliens because that's where they all gather because that's the love of money. That's right. That's right. And they're all the wealthy ones too. Um, now he sees one of the aliens on the revelation point here, so he sees one of the aliens talking into his watch. Mama don't like tattletales, but the guy, the alien, just twists <laughs> something on his wrist on the watch. Boom, disappears. It's just like, like Dick Tracy. That's that's what I 
It's funny you should say that because no one, I don't reckon anyone else listening to this, apart from some of our older listeners, would even know what Yeah, Dick I know, probably not with bloody ancient. But back in the day, yeah, Dick Tracy had that had the watch with a, with a camera in it and the phone and, uh, yeah, the, the TV screen. Yeah. Also. He, yeah, it was the, was the very first Apple Watch, yeah. It um, was. But, yeah, so we see the I alien mean, Dick, just sort Dick of Tracy, phased when... out of this dimension and bang, he's gone, he's just disappeared. So another revelation there that they have this ability um, this further technology that we know of. They're not just talking to their watches like a radio. They now have the ability to actually shift out of space and time and disappear in front of people's eyes. Yeah, so we've shifted from Dick Tracy into, uh, what's the other one? Star Trek. Yes, yeah, that's, that's right. Beaming. They got beamed, basically, beamed, beamed out. Or beamed yeah, that's right. So he's now and in the back alley. He's escaped the bank. So here we go. Drone. This is where it's, he sees a little drone. Yeah, this is cool. So drone technology now we see. He sees this is 1988. Drone. Did we have drones then? <laughs> That's just it. We didn't. So no, we didn't. It's me very, very foreboding. This film. You know what I'm saying? We, well, they did. <laughs> we just didn't. <laughs> very cool. Blows the drone out of the sky. They've probably you had drones since 1947. Movie. But you got to love the very corny uh, special effects here. Like, not the best, you know what I mean? But it's just yeah. this is why I make the cult film, you know what I mean? Low budget, you can tell. But the point gets across. Yeah. It was, I think it was probably a little bit of a nod to something like the, the day the earth stood still stuff. Yeah, possibly. You know, like yeah. So he sees this cop's not an alien. Yeah. Tells him to yeah. Drop, yeah, drop the gun. Beat your feet, mate. Piss off. Yeah. And that, that showed that, you know, he's um, not willing to just be a cop killer. He's, uh, That's right. He's not a cold blooded killer. He's He knows who he's yeah. going for. Yeah, and here we see now our um, other main character of the movie, Meg Foster. I'm ex- I always expected like a forked tongue to come out of her mouth. <laughs> totally, man. Like, ah, <laughs> she could almost Scales. like pull pull off the the face and just be one of the aliens. You know, look at that face. Look at those totally. eyes. Yeah. God damn, she's got ice cold eyes, man. Like crystal clear, almost with this a pupil in the middle. <laughs> so Rowdy grabs her in the bottom of this basement park uh, where she was uh, walking to her car. Grabs her, gets in the car. So he's sort of holding her hostage. You can see that she's not an alien. She's a human. Just tells her to drive. Yeah, don't attract any attention. Not too fast. I'm gonna just very clever the all. way. It's very clever the way that John Carpenter used those black and white shots here and there just to show you that, okay, this is the bit where he's looking through his sunglasses. This yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's nice and easy to follow. Yeah, nice, nice technique there, yeah. So he's got it back to her place. And you can, this is, again, iconic of being in uh, LA. She's up in the hills in one of those houses on the stilts or something. He's just wiped. He's wiped. He's going to take these glasses off. It's like a drug, he says. Wearing those glasses makes you high, but you come down hard. Mm. So he's trying to apologise to her. He didn't mean to kidnap her. Just wants to help. Just needed some wheels. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I mean, why not pick a BMW? <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's apologising to her. He's like, I'm sorry, I've had a bad day, you know. And, and she's like, you, you have two guns. You're not sorry. You're in charge. She's so calculated. Mm. He's like, look, yeah, he lady, we're it. in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. You can only see him through these glasses. Because that was very streetwise. 
Yeah, he's very street smart. That's right. He he uh he could see that she was trying to do the you know seduction thing, trying to appeal that's to right. his ego. Then and it's like now he's straight onto it. Yeah, like it's like almost like she's had hostage training before. You know, <laughs> it's like coming yeah. across that she knows how to deal with this this this, this type of uh, scenario. All right, so he's like, you got to put these glasses on. There's only way you can see what's really going on. We're being controlled by these things. We've got to stop them. She's like, I'll do whatever you want. Just don't hurt me, please. He's like, listen to what I'm saying. She's like, okay. In the uh, damsel in distress. You're fighting forces of evil, but only none of us can see without these sunglasses. He's like, take a look. She says, yeah, this is very, very, yeah. this, this, this scene right here made me start to question whether or not she's actually a good person. Here we go. So she's, he's like, take a look. And she's like, all right, I'll wear your, your glasses if you want. <laughs> I love your lady voice. <laughs> she's like, if I don't, if I, if I don't see what you see, <laughs> I'm going to, she's like, I'm going to see it anyway. She's basically, basically just placating him saying, I'll just tell you what you want to hear. That's basically yeah. what she's saying. Yeah. To keep myself safe, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll say what you want me to say. And he's just like, ah, typical. Have it your way, honey. You're going to outsmart like, me, hey, bitch. It's your way. <laughs> and then she just turns around and walks over. I know. It's amazing. She's a hostage and she's already sort of doing the, the soap opera turn thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny. There we go. Every man has to sleep eventually. <laughs> so he's, he's really wiped out from wearing the glasses. That's the effect that these glasses have on people. Come at a price. You can see what's really going on, and that's that too is also indicative too. It's a very good parallel there, actually, um, Stella. So what they're saying is, you know, you 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 bear the burden of being able to see what's really going on, and it has a toll on people like us. You know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. the ones you can actually see what's going on. And he's, mm. but in, obviously they're showing that, and it's a physical thing. So he's physically being worn out and beaten down and tired and headache and, you know, wiped out <laughs> from where, from, from being able to see what's really going on. And that has its effect on us. You know, we, we, a lot of us in this, I guess we'll call it the truth of movement, um, we go through this. You know, we have these moments where we weigh up is it really worth it? Is it worth the trouble? Is it worth going through this? And, you know, like I said, we, we had this um, discussion with our guest on the first show of the season with John Kerwin about the survival guide for conspiracy theorists. You know, it was indicative of that sort of mentality as well. Having had a look after yourself when you're one, you're the one that can see what's really going on. So I yeah, like well, that. Well, I mean, it, it is exhausting, isn't it, General? I mean, especially when you sort of got to have these continued conversations with, let's call them normies. Normies, you know, yeah. friends or what have you and it's like you've you've also got to remember to kind of think backwards as well like it's almost like talking to children not that you could talk down to them but it's almost like trying to remember where they're at um when we've yes. sort of come so far it's like everything's just kind of second nature to us now and yeah, to them it's yeah. still like a, oh my god no it's not like that is it and it's like uh well yeah well that's sort of like kindergarten stuff do you want me to tell you the rest or not you know yeah yeah 100 keep it pretty simple stupid sort of thing at first, with a general, I actually had a good conversation the other day. I must admit, I, I often wear my um, propaganda report T-shirt around town, just in the hope that there might be a conversation struck up, nice. which actually did happen. Um, I went down to uh, Ballina to get a couple of things, and um, that exact same thing happened. So, um, you know, I c- talked to a couple that were um, triple vaxxed but were had woken up since, sort of thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was good. That's good. That's but good. Anyway. Yeah, it works. That's it. Yeah, keep doing it. Just got to um, keep doing it. 
All right, back to the back to the movie here. So yeah, sorry, a bit off track. Yeah, no, that's okay. I, I don't mind segueing. But we'll keep on track, otherwise it could take a bit longer. But um, yeah, yeah. So our protagonist here, and, and this is where you know he's being a genuine guy. He's like he looks at her. He's like, I'm I'm sorry, I have to be here. You know, like he doesn't want to hurt people. He doesn't want to hurt normal people. Yeah. You know, he's a good guy. And she's just sort of looks at him, like, yeah, sure, whatever, pal. Kind of shrugs it off. Poor guy. He's, so you know, your name's Harley, right? Harley Thompson, she says. Yeah. It's a pretty name. Happy, ho- happy hostage, happy life. <laughs> <laughs> so he asks her what she does for a living. And so she's the assistant program director at Cable 54. The TV station, he says. They're sending out signals from the TV sets. Bam! And then she just beams him on the back that of the head. A... She is cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god this is like uh, you you, you want to like you try and want to like this woman but and you're trying to feel for her like what she's going through she's been held hostage you know like you think fuck this is just mean she fully beams our good guy in the back of the head with a bottle and he f- goes flying through a fucking glass window it gets brutal <laughs> tumbles down a hill how he survived this i don't know that it's would tough, kill anybody normally Yep. Yeah, that would sure. at least break a bone or two. Yeah. Oh, you, it'd break your skull open with that bottle hit probably too. Yeah. But he's a tough unit, yeah. you know what I mean? Like he's street smart, he's tough, he's been he, around the traps, he stumbles away. He's street smart, but he's not unit smart, obviously, because he stood <laughs> right in front of that window. You know? Yeah. Won't do that again. Yeah, so she calls for help on the police and he kind of flees, makes his way in a bit of cover. Just skip forward a little bit here. So he he loses the glasses. The glasses were left in her place. So he no longer has the glasses. He's taken cover. He hears the cops coming and but he kind of lays low for the night. But she does. Well, she does. She does. She now has the glasses. Yeah, that's right. So I'll just skip forward a little bit here. He gets his way back to the work site now. So this is the next day. He managed to stay low for the night. He's back at the work site. Yeah, he runs Everything's into, yellow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Runs into our mate Keith David here, Frank. Don't let anybody see you. I had a rough couple of days, he says. It's an understatement. <laughs> so he's like, I don't want nothing to do with you, man. How many people did you kill? He's like, not people. <laughs> uh, and Frank gets all into, oh, you crazy son of a bitch. i got to show you something, he says, because you ain't showing me nothing. I got a wife and kids. Leave me alone. Very indicative of the of the normie, Frank is. Yes. He's the normie. Leave me alone. I've got a wife and kids. I'm living my life. I'm trying to get by. That's exactly what we see. Want to do my job. Go home. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So now that he's, he's got his picture now up on TV screens. He's a wanted man. Mind you, he definitely doesn't see them. Doesn't notice his own TV, his own picture on the TV <laughs> screens. <laughs> All right, so he made it back to the alley where he stashed the sunnies, and he's like, oh, shit, the bins are emptied. It's gone. Fuck. Hey. He's like, oh, shit, nope, there's the, there's the fucking trash. It's in oh, the compactor. Garbage trucks just loaded it up. This is a little bit odd, this bit. It sort of doesn't make... I don't know what you sort of... Uh... Anyway, I won't preempt. We'll keep watching. So he's just, I mean, this guy, this driver didn't hear his own truck opening. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, yeah, he's scrum- rummaging around the back of the dump truck looking for the box. 
the cleanest, mind you, the cleanest rubbish we've ever seen. <laughs> I know, I was thinking oh, there's no sort of uh, old pizza bits. But, okay, so the, the truck just loaded itself up and now it's about to dump everything out in the street. That doesn't make Yeah, I did I mean, think this was it weird. It might be symbolic of something. I don't know. Well, so for the – what the driver – okay, so I would – this is my summation of this. I know it seems odd, right? But so the driver doesn't know that the back is open, right? Um, I would yeah, suggest okay. that that's not actually how they load the trash into these things. The trash is probably loaded more towards the front of the actual garbage truck itself or over the top and into like an opening, right? And what they're doing here or what they would do is they would lift, tilt the back so all the rubbish slides to one end and then they wake up, they can load more rubbish in, you know what I mean, and fill it up better oh, in the yeah. compartment. You know, that's sort of so. what they would do. So that's what he's doing. The garbage guy, you know, picks up a load, tilts it back, create a bit more space so they can load more in. Right, not realising you know, the back was open. Not realising, correct, that the back is opened and our, our protagonist, Nada, falls out with a pair of sunglasses mm-hmm. in the box. Luckily, he got the right box. <laughs> okay. He managed to find it. With all those cardboard boxes, he found the right one. <laughs> and look, not a, not a banana pill amongst it. <laughs> <laughs> not a rat to be seen. <laughs> yeah. All right. Got so here we go. Here. Now he pops into, here it comes. This is now. This is from what I heard. This is one of the longest and best choreographed oh, fight scenes in a movie. It was um, almost five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was um, very long, but I must admit, as as an editor, it's quite fun doing fight scenes. Like yeah, it would have been very entertaining to, to to film as well. And I heard from mm. this was a bit of folklore from this movie that they knew that this scene was in the movie. So John Carpenter said to Keith David and Rowdy and said, "You guys." come up with something you know they also had a fight choreographer with the film who helped them with this scene as well but they went you guys go off do a fight scene and you know come back and show me what you got and then they were at john carpenter's house and they basically enacted the entire scene in his house or in his property somewhere on his land and they and and john loved it he was like this is awesome this is just incredible fight scene so yeah he, he they they showed him prior to uh, to obviously to filming so he could see what what they'd come up with and he loved it. I'm uh, I'm just reading here the uh, Carpen- carpenter recalls the fight took three weeks to rehearse. Um, mm. He said it, it's an incredibly brutal and funny fight along the lines of the slugfest between John Wayne and Victor McLaughlin. In the oh, there you man. go. Interesting. Um, but we see a lot of um, obviously Rowdy being a wrestler. We see a lot of wrestling moves as well. But anyway, so Frank's come up and throw him some money and gone, here is a week's pay. It's the best I could do. He's like, disappear. You know, that's how I'm going to help you. He's like, you better find somewhere to hide, man. And here it comes. This is it. This is the part now. This, this, when I, I think I spoke to you about this or I've spoken to about this many times on the show. This is the scene that is indicative of what we are going through right now as us, you and I, Stella and, and Andy and Ethan, trying to wake up the masses, right? Keith, Keith David, our man Frank here, represents the masses, the normies. And, of course, Rowdy Roddy Piper being us, the truther, he knows, he's seen what's going on, the veil's been lifted, he's got the intel, he's got the knowledge, he can shed some light on what's really going on, and he's come up against what the normies do which is to you i don't want to listen go away you're crazy and he calls him crazy you crazy mother he's like just put these glasses on i've got something to show you he's like no he just complete denial the whole time i don't want any part of what you're trying to show me he's like stay away from me he's like put these on you son of a bitch punches him in the face very (laughs) very indicative of exactly what's going on 
you and your family's life. Exactly. It's and, like uh, us. It's we're just trying to help people, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it's we're not doing this for fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's interesting along this, you know, as the fight progresses, um, goes on and on. <laughs> and it's like um, it, you sort of think it's over and then it comes back for more and then you think That's it's right. over and then it comes back yeah. for more. It's like, oh, God, is this still yeah. going? <laughs> and, this, and, and right, it's indicative of how hard it is to try and get through to people. Mm. Uh, th again, this is what I like. This is a, it's yeah, a, and you've got to get hurt in the process. A, that's right. It's a great analogy of of what people like us go through. Mm -hmm. You know, we lose family members and friends. We fight with people. We argue with people. We we try not to be the one to, you know, be the aggressive one. You know, we like, we don't want to fight you. We don't want to have to fight with you. We just want you to listen. Just listen to what I've got to say. I'll show you. <laughs> yeah, I want to show you some information. You know, this is what we we go through all the time. You know, think for yourself. Try and think here. Put these these like put these glasses on him so I can show you what's really going on. This is the fight scene. He's like, yeah, I'll help you up. They beat each other a bit. Yeah, it goes yeah, back and forth. I love it. it. He's like, yeah. <laughs> and bang, he helps him up, and then boom, just lays another one right on his chin. Low life. That was very low move. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. But they're oh. fairly fairly well evenly matched. Ouch. Headbutts. Yeah. Hurt. Oh yeah, headbutts, <laughs> groin, groin punches and kicks. Like it gets, he takes it in the balls a few times. Yep. Oh, they're not holding back. Here we go. He's like, here, take a look. Put them on. He's put the glasses in his hands, giving it. So that's like indicative of like, here, you've got the information. It's like saying to someone, you've here, I've sent you the link to this documentary. Yeah. yeah. You know, watch it. And then here, it nah, here we go. He throws the glasses on the ground and he's about to stop on it. It's basically like deleting the email that you've sent people with the info. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, no, don't. You yeah, know, and this is exactly, aside. yep, he tosses them aside and it's like that's exactly what happened to me. It's like um, sending some info to a person who was quite, you know, big in my life. And they've, he, yeah, it was admitted that they'd never looked at one, but they've put them all into a folder somewhere and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, right, <laughs> <Why>? okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, what are you going to do with that? Bring it out later. But, um, yeah, this is like. Here we go. Good wrestling move there. Big. Bouncing up, yep, bouncing yeah. off the walls, driving up the wall. <laughs> it's a brutal, you got bitten on the hand then. It's a brutal fight. Like these guys yeah. just go at it, man. Bam, punching him. So now we start to see Rowdy get a bit on top here. Nada's now beaten up. Eye gouges, there we go. Yeah, eye gouges, yep. Oh, it's, it's brutal. Oh, here we go. Bang, that's two, three, four, Ow. five, Ow. five <laughs> knees in the nuts. And he's still not done. He's holding his groin. He's like, oh, shit. Oh, he's got the got a piece of timber now. Got two by four. Swinging away. Here we go. Keith David picks up. Frank picks up the bottle. Ouch. Here we go. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. This so Rowdy <laughs> takes a swing, misses, hits the back screen of a of a, a windscreen of a car, and he's, and he's like, oh, shit. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, man. He's like, you're crazy, man. <laughs> so Frank has the bottle in his hand. He smashes it on the car because he's going to use the, the broken bottle to hit him. And he realizes he pretty much smashed the whole bottle and it didn't work. So he tosses it down and then Rowdy just laughs. He sort of looks at him and does a bit of a cheeky laugh. I love it. This is what I love about this character. Yeah. He's so lovable. And then Frank just launches himself on him again. Here we go. It continues. Bam, bam. Oh. Quite a well choreographed. <laughs> it is. It's a, it is a good choreographed fight. 
I mean, look, all the fight scenes these days in movies is all like, you know, oh, jujitsu and taekwondo, not taekwondo, like kung fu. It's all, you know, it's all martial arts kind of stuff. But this is just sort of brutal fighting. This is just yeah. street brawl kind of stuff. You know it's what I mean? More like what the police were doing to the public during the lockdowns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he puts the glasses on his chest. That's Frank onto uh, Naru. He says, fuck you. Like, I ain't looking at your information about the New World Order. Rowdy's <laughs> <laughs> not done yet. No, not, is not How done. dare you spit your truth at me? I'm not yeah. going to open my eyes. It's all too uh, much. Frank's, Frank's trying to catch his breath, and here we go. Nada's bam, straight back into it. <laughs> Still plowing into each other. Oh, suplex. There's a suplex. Ow. Bam. He's yeah, it makes you sort of wonder, is he doing it because he really, you know, I suppose he just, he needs an ally as well, really. You know, mm, he's like, well, he's partly... the only guy he knows, he, and he's been, he knows he's been kind to him. He's the only guy, he's like the only friend he has in this world at the moment. He's worth Here we go. So yeah. He's grabbed the glasses, he's put them on his face, he's manually put, he's shoved the glasses on his face, and he's dragged him to his feet. This is the best part here. Look! Look at him! They're everywhere, he says. And everything's black and white. The first son of a bitch to wake up out of a dream. I love it. There's another great line there. And then you look on Frank's face, he's like, holy shit. Like he's now seeing, he's like, he, he can tell his body language is like almost fear and afraid, but yeah, he's crouching there. He sees this flying saucer above the oh, monitoring them. There's a classic line coming up here. I think it's here. Brother, life's a bitch. This is it. And she's back in heat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just Brother, love the lines. <laughs> I know, so good. I reckon they just it, came out with the lines first and then wrote the movie around. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Eh? But this is great. So you see these two, they've just beat the fucking shit out of each other. Look at Rowdy. Look at Nada's face. He's like swollen and bruised yeah. and bloodied. Look at him. Yeah, so they find themselves uh, one of those hostel kind of looking hotels. You know, Cheap place to stay. <laughs> Look at that. I love this scene. People Walks just falling asleep. Both put the glasses on. I want a room. <laughs> Classic. Look at them. They just beat. They're so beat down. Like, I, really, I wish he's, Rowdy's looking. He's like, I wish I didn't have to fucking go through this shit just to wake you up, motherfucker. But I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's hurting. Is yeah. it bad? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. this is where we learn a little bit about. I think this is where we learn about um, Nada's past a bit here. I think. I think this is yeah. the scene. We start to yeah, so why we'll... he's uh, streetwise. That's right. Look at his face. He's so swollen. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't love grand, he says. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Probably very familiar to look like that. So Frank's looking out the window, and he's just amazed. Sees all the billboards, consume, obey, all that sort of stuff, conform. Form. It's your scene here, Stella. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So don't wear the glasses too long. It's like a knife turning in your skull. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're, yeah, we're so brainwashed that it's, like, completely different. Mm. See the truth and reality. So a bit of to and fro. What are we going to do? Trying to make a bit of light of it, but he didn't. Frank didn't like yeah. that. Yeah. 
<laughs> when you get some kind of master plan, you let me know, he says. We've got a bit of a loss here, and I'm not sure what to do. Anyway, here becomes a bit of a revelation. We can't be the only ones that can see. We've got to find the people that made these glasses. He's like, yeah, if they're still alive. Yeah, no Ray-Bans. Yeah. So this is where we learn a bit of backstory now. They probably should have cashed in on that Ray-Ban or something. Totally, yeah, totally. (laughs) They could have had some product placement big time. Yeah. They live glasses. There we go. So I'll read this now for the listeners. So, So a long time ago, things were a bit different. This is from Nada. Daddy took me down to the river and told me about the power and glory. I was saved. He changed when I was little. He turned mean. So I ran away. When I was 13. Tried to cut me once. Big old razor blade. Held up against my throat. I said, Daddy, please. Just kept moving it back and forth. Like he was sawing down a tree. Mm, I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Because it's sort of like that's how the way society and all this works. It's cycles and pendulum swings. Mm. Back and forth, back and forth, you know. Now Frank's having a bit of revelation now. Maybe these things have always been with us. Maybe they love it, seeing us hate each other. Feeding on our own cold hearts. Watching us kill each other off. Yes, well, it's exactly what's happening, isn't it? <laughs> mm. Yeah, he's like, I ain't daddy's little another boy. classic line. Here it yeah. is. <laughs> it's going to be hell to pay. And yep. I ain't daddy's little boy anymore. Mm-hmm. Back to the norm. Yep. So here comes old Gilbert. Gilbert's found out where they are. Gilbert's got the sunnies on as well. Yep. So he, Frank puts his glasses back on to look at Gilbert. Okay, good. Yeah. You're not an alien. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now they talk about how there's a meeting tonight. I'll just skip forward a little bit. So they rocked up where the meeting is. <laughs> this guy. Got the so guns he out. Wait. He couldn't wait to have his part, this guy. It's <laughs> <laughs> a line in the film. I bet he's somebody like, I don't know, John Carpenter's brother or something. <laughs> sure, bro, you can have a line. Yeah, so this meeting of all the dissidents underground. Yep. Underground, that's right. In a unknown location, organizing, gearing up. So there we go. So met by a lady. You can take your glasses off. We're all humans in here. Glad you made it, that sort of thing. Thanks for joining the fight. Very concrete and grey, 1984-y looking. I like this part, though. Here we go. Brand new. Got the first shipment today. Contact lenses, so you don't have to wear the glasses anymore. Have you ever watched someone put contact lenses in? I never. I was just about to say, because I didn't have the um, subtitles going, and it took me – I had to watch this three times to realise, because at first I thought they were snorting something. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, what's that? Well, they're not even questioning what they're putting in their body. And then, yeah, the third time I realised, oh, it's contact lenses, right? So, no, yeah. I have not. <laughs> uh, I, I used to I used to uh, date a woman that used to wear them. And I can tell you that this is – it's never this easy to put contact lenses in oh, the way right. they, these guys just grab them and boink, 
pop them straight in yeah. <laughs> without a mirror. Like, come on, like <laughs> the Hollywood contact lenses. <laughs> and they do it like they don't even really lean their heads back to do it. But anyway, all right. So we're still here. We're still in the underground talking to about the action plan. So there's the dissident that got beaten up, but he's still on the telly. Yeah, unless it's just an old recording or something. We don't know, but well, I'm assuming yeah. he's still alive. But Well, no, I was just going to say it's probably because it's, it's a recording. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so people just sell out. That's what they're saying. People join up with them, they sell out. Because your bank accounts get bigger, new houses, cars, promotions. People do anything to get rich. Yeah. And they're watching the broadcast on the TV. So talking about, here we go, it's a little bit about the climate change now. Chloro, sorry, fluorocarbons have increased since 1958. The earth is being acclimatised. Mm, 1958, why was that? I was mm. going to look that up, actually. Yeah. They're turning our atmosphere into their atmosphere. The earth is just not a developing planet. Yeah, so he's their just describing... World what the aliens are doing to the earth, which is exactly right. what the governments are doing to each country. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We could be pets. We could be food. All we really are is livestock, which is indicative of cattle or as they, the, they like to call us the chattel as well through yeah, chat, yeah. chattel papers and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just like Basically, you said just then, they, they want us benign. Exactly. Here we go. So they rock up to a table full of, Weapons, guns, assault rifles, bullets, grenades. They start gearing up. I love it. Probably never fired a gun before in their lives. Who knows? Maybe they served in Vietnam. But it's about that era where they would have probably served in Vietnam. So maybe they're familiar. Who knows? We don't really get that part of the backstory. Well, he's been on the like, streets since he was 13. So. Yeah, so he's probably familiar with weapons. Yeah. Um, so now this, this guy's telling them about the watch. He's like, they've got a secret code. You know, they push a button. All of a sudden, bang, they vanish, they're gone. We've been trying to figure it out. So Frank now has one of those watches. He puts it in his pocket, so he's got the watch. You know, they're talking about how the re recruitment's down. You know, We need more people. Their detection of us is more effective. Stay aware of keeping appearances. You know, Go to work, do what's expected of you. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Yeah, people want to fight. They want to fight back. He's like, no, Gilbert's like, no, that's not working. We don't stand a chance with a few guns and grenades. We bide our time. Hmm. Find the Biden signal. The, Shut it Biden off. Biden the time. Yeah. Yeah, got to shut it off at the past. Well, I didn't... Here we go. Dave this was at KRDA. I didn't know what KRDA was. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what that, that is either. didn't come up before. No. But it's he basically... The, um, the place where the signal yeah. output thing is no 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 I think, it, I think it's something else because he's saying he may have located the signal so i think he knows that it's coming from a particular place like krda might be like um like some sort of scientific institution AWA or something. Yeah. where he's able to detect things you know and then she's like nasa yeah krda is clear so KRDA is basically like where that Studio 54 is or whatever, that broad, you know, the, where right, she yeah. films from. So that's that's obviously the building then, yeah. This is where we get to, you know, this is that Meg Foster, her character, um, Thompson, is back. And she's like, no, KRDA is clear. The signal's coming from somewhere else. 
So she throws him, you know, off the wrong, off the scent. So she's trying to cover for them. But we don't really know that. We're we're assuming she's good here and she's helping. Yeah, because she was a project manager there. Yeah, she was like an assistant director of some shit, yeah. Oh, you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. (laughs) I thought (laughs) I killed you. You should have been fucking dead. (laughs) I thought you'd killed me too. Last time I saw you, you were flying out of my window. Yeah, look at those eyes, man. Holy crap. Like, she would, she could hypnotise people, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like they're slitted, <laughs> like a reptile. Mm. There we go. They're Bang! Like, yeah. Boom! Yeah. Explosion. All the cops come in and start blowing away all the dissidents. They're trying to grab the sunglasses. Grab what you can. Oh. Full force. What was that, sorry? Full force. They've come in full force. Yep. Absolutely, yeah. Just the military because they, they believe yep. they believe that there's going to be a coup by these people, so they think they're doing the right thing, apparently, the military. Yes. So a lot of the dissidents get wasted here. They throw a grenade. Oh, no, loses the grenade. People are dying all over the place. Nada manages to rescue... What was her name? Something Thompson? Um, um, I it wasn't Emma. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, Miss, Miss Thompson, we'll call her. Ice Queen. I'll find it. So they're in the battle the cops. Holly, Holly Thompson, that's the one. Good work. So as we can see, they've got the glasses on, so we can see that the cops that are shooting them are actually obviously still the aliens they're doing battle with. Frank and Nada seem to be doing quite well. Back their way into the back of an alley, and they're trapped. Luckily, they've got a machine gun. gun, gun. Typical 80s fashion, guns with unlimited bullets. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it never runs out. (laughs) The Uzi 9mm. Oh, there's, there's our bearded friend. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Frank and Nard are now trapped in the back uh, of an This alley. is one of my favourite bits. This is one of my favourite bits, the way um, Nada talks to Frank. <laughs> Frank, yeah, Frank, yeah, Frank. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's right. He's got the, Frank's got the watch now. He's like trying to get uh, get it working. This bit. <laughs> Frank, what? Frank, what? Frank. <laughs> he goes, oh, shit. It's a real Eddie Murphy moment. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of. And then the portal magically opens up, but the uh, watch is malfunctioning. The watch has malfunctioned. Rich, this portal is temporary and will disappear in 10 seconds. Six it's seconds. Funny. Five it's seconds. Like, We've got the countdown looks, now. Looks like the tunnel that the Jews uh, were coming out of. <laughs> yeah, bang! All of a sudden, so this is an interesting part now. So the scene okay. now cuts to they're underneath the city. The portal rescued them, and they're underneath the city somewhere in a hidden tunnel, saying that there's bilingual signs posted on the each corridor. It's in some sort of alien writing they don't recognize. Yeah, so I think we're under the city. Maybe some kind of underground base. Very, 
draconian looking. Yeah. Well, Operation that... Steel Fist has been a complete success. We've eliminated the terrorists. Funnily enough, these two guards, right, sit there. Yeah, we've wiped them out. Look at us. Look at our horrible acting. But the thing that uh, <laughs> one of the guards is holding is actually um, from a prop from Ghostbusters. It's the um, little EKG, PKG reader thing that um, they use to detect the ghosts in Ghostbusters. That's funny you should say that because that, that, those little gadgets are in another scene as well. And I was looking at them going, I've, I recognize them, but I couldn't think where it was from, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's from Ghostbusters. Yeah, like they they raided the prop department or something. Yeah, they did. <laughs> Have a little nod. When Here was Ghostbusters? So, that must have been obviously. Oh, yeah, close to. Uh, sorry, Ghostbusters was. Um, I think it would have been before. Early eighties. Nineteen eighty four. Yeah, so four years before this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah okay. Makes sense. Here we go. I love this bit. All of a sudden, they just stumble on this. They hear applause clapping in the background, and they seem to stumble into the entrance to a grand hall, like this hall that's underneath this the city somewhere. That's exactly how I imagine it too. Yeah. <laughs> the underground of these really amazing plush places. Yeah. So we've got the aliens beetling with the humans. Yep, you are the human power elite. Yeah, it's all a. a Nice dinner to pat everyone's uh, ourselves on the back here. Job well done, they're all saying. So they sort of standing out like <laughs> two fucking sore thumbs. I know. How, how does anyone not know? Everyone that? else <laughs> looks like it looks like a penguin in their tuxedos, and these two are still wearing the same clothes. Maybe Could they are blind to them. Who knows? Who knows? Seems a little odd. So they're talking about, yeah, our, our average per capita gain is up 39%. Yeah, we're all rich. We're doing so well. Aren't we wonderful? It's almost like Basically, that guy's made to look like the early 1900s elite, you know, like yeah. Carnegie sort of time. Yeah, Warburg and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I got that same yeah. impression too, actually, yeah. The underground terrorist network has been destroyed here in the West Coast. Situation is normal again. Here we go. All right. So there now, he there he is. <laughs> now, do you, you you recognize him, right? Yeah, I I did the um the second time I Same, had to. Yeah. So I didn't notice yeah. the first time either. I had to go back and you know, when I watched it again, I realized who it was. So this guy on yeah. screen is now he's the homeless bum that was watching the TV in the camp, and uh, he's now wearing a tuxedo. He's been looked after. He's obviously sided with the Sold aliens. Out. Sold out. That's right. You should address for the party, he's saying, you know, because he recognizes them. He knows who they are. He's seen them before. He's like, ah, I'm sure proud to be here because he he's now assuming that they sold out and that they're now here on, uh, you know, making an alliance with the aliens because he's like, well, how else would they get to where I am? Because that's alien tech, you know what I mean? Whereas exactly. doesn't realize that they stumbled into it. So he's, he's safe to assume that they're now on his side. So he's like, yeah, I'll give you the tour. So and um, it's like backstage of the show. Sorry, this, go on. Uh, this guy that reminds me of sort of like modelled on Richard Branson, I think I feel. Yes, um, you mentioned that earlier, yeah. So yeah. you got that. He's, yeah. he's very um he's very kind of smug and very egocentric. So um, mm. that comes into play a little bit later with our streetwise Nada. Yeah, 
So he's talking about the watch and how much fun it is. Here we go. You think that's some? Take a look at this. Yeah, he's really smarty, smarty guy. You know. Mm. Flight Alpha 7 to Andromeda is now ready. So that's where we learn how <laughs> alien creatures are actually from Andromeda, which Andromeda. I think Andromeda is like the nearest solar system to Earth, if you look it up or something like that. Um, I'm not sure. I think it is. If you, uh, what is the nearest solar system to Earth? Sure, it was Andromeda from memory. Alpha Centauri. Uh, Alpha Centauri. No, okay. Proxima Centauri. No, okay. I thought it was Andromeda. And let's just type, things type in Andromeda. See what comes up. Um, ah, that's right. I'll go back to the film. But anyway, so we, we, we now learn where the aliens have come from. And this is there. We've got the little Star Trek. Boom, gets beamed away, and they shoot off into the distance. And this, what we're looking at now, is basically like a portal. You know, this is how they arrive and how they go back and forth between their home planet to whatever planet they want to colonize. They've got this technology. Pack their bags, and boom, they shoot off, away they go. So Andromeda is the a barred spiral galaxy and is the nearest major galaxy to the Milky Way. Oh, there you go. Nearest major galaxy to the Milky Way. So not solar system galaxy. I was a little bit off there. I was close. <laughs> There's a difference, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so this whole thing's like one big airport. Yep. Yeah, they've got their act together. Believe you me. So, so that's continuing the tour. That, um, oh, I was going to call it the holodeck, but that's not really the holodeck in Star Trek where they do the teleportation. No, that's the holodecks where they create other shit. The, the, that's yeah. just the teleporter, basically. Yeah. Well, apparently, like I was looking, because I wanted, I couldn't remember the name of it, and I wanted to know. It's just a teleporter, basically, um, yeah. the beam me up Scotty machine. Yeah. And apparently, yeah. German scientists were back in two thousand and fifteen, I think it was, uh, were working on some uh, technology which sort of is kind of based on that. Yep. So basically, what it does is takes away an object. Imagine putting an apple at one end, and then it sort of strips down each layer, and then sort of turns it into code and then that yeah. sort of goes you know through and at the other end it gets rebuilt yep that's right so, and from apparently they did it but they did it with a single photon or something like that sort of shit that's the only thing that they've been able to do it with is like yeah. one single thing <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> at this point that they tell us yeah they tell us that's right <laughs> So here's look. This reminded me of like Pine Gap or something. So the central control control area. Brains of the operation, which is basically Pine Gap, isn't it? As far as communications. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Part of uh, Echelon, the, the Five Eyes. Yeah. yeah, a sharing of the information from the uh, Echelon group. So they're walking through. Basically, it's uh, the back end of the tour. This is the and bit he where sees, yeah. his ego comes into play. So here we go. So they see two guards, and behind the guards is, is the Studio 54 broadcast room, and uh, that's where the tour ends. But they're like, oh, can you get us inside, they say to the homeless guy. No longer homeless, of course. Never seen the inside of a TV studio before, says Nada. You look like the gentleman that can do it. There we go. Uh, yeah, plays to his ego. 
Yep. Nah, so those boys, they're, he, they're friends of mine. He gives, the, he gives the wink, you know, and that's the sort of thing that egoey people do. <laughs> yeah. Because I can do that, mate. I can do that for you. Gives a wink, you know. <laughs> Here we go. So you, uh, you have your authorization cards. He says, and Renata's like, right here, pulls out the gun. Boom, boom. <laughs> he grab, like he grabs the guy <laughs> by the beard and drags him. <laughs> yep, so they want to get in and to the broadcasting area. Yep, so he wears the signal. That's all they're interested in, is getting to the source of the signal That's to right. stop the brainwashing signals being emitting. It's just business. It's all it is, boys. You still don't get it, do you? There ain't no countries anymore. No more good guys. They're running the whole show. They own everything. The whole goddamn planet. They can do whatever they want. <laughs> what's happening? What's wrong with having a good for a change? Yeah. What's wrong with selling um, out? Sort sort of sounds familiar, doesn't it, General? Hmm. <laughs> you can have a bit of a taste of that good life too. Everybody does. Everybody wants that. He's trying to trying to sell them. And yep, Frank's it's like, like the yeah. snake in the tree of knowledge. Yeah. What's the threat? Just take a bite. Take a bite. Here we go. What's what's the threat? We all sell out every day. What's what's wrong with being on the wing team? <laughs> <laughs> Here he goes. Bang. See you, boys. Use his little, little emergency. Watch. Yep, he's gone. Into his porthole. Yep, he's out of there. It's not a wig at all, is it? <laughs> <laughs> That was such an eighties. That right there was so unnecessary. Like Frank throws a grenade down to open up a door <laughs> when he could probably just kick yeah. the fucking wooden door in. I love it. <laughs> uh. Cable fifty four, please stand by. Transmission has been intercepted. Broken. And they just start laying waste to all the aliens. Because as you noticed. Just about all of them are aliens running yep, the media right. studio. Funny that. The ones, yep, controlling the signal are mostly aliens. So they walk through the back offices. Now this is significant they they too. They don't kill any of them because they're just normal humans. Here, look, see, this it's a pregnant lady walks out. Yes. Right? Yes. It's sort of like appealing to the. He's trying to appeal to the people who are just too damn busy because they're running a family, etc. She's a pregnant lady standing there with a coffee pot. Yeah. And he's trying to get some sense out of her. Like, he's trying to find out how to get to the roof. And she's just like, oh, um, oh, um, 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 useless. So it's sort of, yeah. I just thought that was a little bit of a significant. Yeah, nice. I like that. She's obviously just like, you know, an assistant or a secretary, just giving the guys the coffees and the suits and stuff, you know. Yeah. I don't know nothing. I just work here. Mm. <laughs> creating <laughs> now see this girl here see this girl here at the table yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. she's really famous she's really she famous really? That, that's a little cameo i think so and oh, I, can't, right. I can't think of a damn name she was in the mickey mouse club like, oh, okay. i'm talking decades ago interesting and she so getting, also... we are getting towards the end of the film here too folks by the way yeah yeah <laughs> So they're making their way. There it is again. There's the little <laughs> ghost detector in his hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the security teams following them. They're making their way through the building, looking for them, looking for Frank and Nada, who are making their way to the roof. Frank and Nada. Frankly, nothing. Yeah, bang, bang. Shoot a few more. <laughs> Just 
kill them as they go. I don't think they were even aliens. Well, the, well, the SWAT team guys are all the bad guys, so they're assuming yeah, that they're yep. all aliens. Uh, so they, sure. they, they don't have their – actually, no, they've got their contact lenses in, so they know that those obviously yeah. the two guys that came past yeah. weren't aliens, so they let them go. There, that was the scene I was thinking of, yeah. Okay, and there they are again, using the same things, detecting ghosts as they talk. <laughs> <laughs> Truth busters. <laughs> and then uh, we have... Uh, so we're still blowing guys away, blowing away these uh, army guys. Then we well, have here we Holly go. just Holly. comes out of nowhere. He just appears out of nowhere. There we go. Isn't that convenient? <laughs> Unfortunately... Nada is still bewildered by her eyes, <laughs> hypnotized. Yes. So they make their way to a stairwell. It's like, come on, let's maybe get she's got alarm starts going off. Maybe she's got she... contact lenses. Yeah, maybe. So Nada is yeah, just this. This was a bit unexpected. Yeah, this side. This is again. This is the the turning point where we see she's not a good guy. She is one of the collaborators. So Cold Nada takes killer. off, takes off up, up the stairs, and he's like, "Come on!" And here she goes. We don't actually bang. see it, but we assume that bang, yep, she pulls out a pistol and just blows Frank's head off. Like, what a cold bitch, man! She's an ice queen. Yeah. And of course, yeah. Nada makes it to the roof. Frank's brains end up on several floors, yeah. all at once. He sees the dish. Looks like the Netflix dish. <laughs> yeah. He sees uh, some sort of signal thing inside it that he's going to shoot that's broadcasting this signal. He's like, Frank, you and Holly clear? Holly says, I'm clear. Are you? Ooh, Nada turns around, and here she is, pointing a pistol. Don't do it, she says. Makeup's all been redone. Don't interfere, you can't win. So that's how we know she's a collaborator, of course. Don't interfere, you can't win. She's like, I've sided with them. Ooh, up comes a couple of choppers. Yep. Drop your weapon. So he puts the gun down. Get away from the dish or we'll open fire. She's Come inside with me, she says. You've got ten seconds. They're doing the countdown. And he pulls out a little mini pistol from under his sleeve. Bang! Shoots her. It's the most ungory film. Yeah. He said, yeah, there we go, there's the line. He just points his pistol at the the broadcast signal thing. He says, fuck it. Fuck it. Shoots it, it blows up. Shoots, goes to shoot it again. Oh, no, doesn't matter. He gets shot. That was a good die. Not a bad die. Mind you, I didn't see it there, but it must be another version of this because I've listened to a few things about this film and apparently as he's dying there unless it's coming up again but i don't think we see him again anyway so we the do. whole thing blows up oh we do okay so he's on the yeah. ground okay yeah he's dying he gives the finger <laughs> that's right yeah he gives him the finger okay i thought it was on the scene just before but it's not okay right. i must have got that wrong here it is so classic of yeah. as he's dying laying dying with a smile on his face gives him the <laughs> finger yeah glorious so here we go we've switched to the signal's gone everyone's waking up the, the 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 it's the revel it's the um the apocalypse now it's the the revealing the great unveiling has happened and the aliens are now exposed those two that were broadcasting on tv are now seen for what they truly are and you hear one of the people in the background go gloria you look like shit 
And they're all like, what yep, happened? So everybody's waking up. Here because we go. The, I love this one. Yeah. <laughs> they're in a bar watching TV and one of the aliens is sitting there watching TV and everyone around him is looking at him like, what the fuck? Look at this guy. So he shot the he shot the dish, which um, actually um, he put out a, a nice uh, green plasma beam, didn't it? It did, it's, yes. A little bit of an energy like a, weapon there. A bit of a Jew, yeah. Yep, Jew, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the signal's broken. Here we go. The, one of the best scenes in the movie. <laughs> of course, I'll leave it till the very last. <laughs> look, look, I didn't mean to pause there. I only just paused it on the background. It says Mary and Reproduce. And, of course, she's there having sex with somebody. She's a titty woman on top riding. And she sees the TV. She's watching TV. She's like, what the fuck? <gasps> and you realize that she's having sex with an alien. He's like, hey, what's wrong, baby? And that is the last line of the film. It is. Oh, it's <laughs> such a classic 80s way to end that movie it's awesome and uh and that is it that wraps up they live it's a cult classic but um yeah like i said so many things stella in that movie i'll I'll just give you my final thoughts on uh, and i'll throw to you as well but um everything that we watched in that movie yes it's corny you know it's got the low budget it's that kind of movie whether or not and and uh, I mean, I'm happy to disagree as well. We don't have to always agree with each other. But I don't know. I'm not completely sold that, you know, John Carpenter may be one of them because in my eyes, he never made it to major filmmaker stardom. He was always the B-grade kind of director and writer and producer and filmmaker. He was never one of the big ones, you know what I mean? So I think he was kind of a little bit on the outside. So that was my that's my take on the reason why he throws a lot of these little things in some of the movies he's trying to tell. You know, he's putting a lot of, you know, all that stuff in there now. Like I said, it's so relevant to today. The brainwashing, the hidden messages, the subliminal, the, the battle for the truth of trying to wake people up, you know what I mean? You know, the, the normie fighting us, fighting the truth off. We don't want the truth, you know what I mean? We're seeing all this happen today, this motif, it's happening, and it can happen pretty much until the end of time, really. This is, it's it was a very, very cleverly done, I thought. Um Again, also being based on on a short story with the aliens being hidden and you know behind a signal and so forth. But what I think that John did with it was much better. He took it to that next step and you know turned it into this there's this this messaging behind the film. You know we're we're being we're being trained to breed to you know well, not that breeding is a bad thing, but to consume, to obey, to you know no independent thoughts, just bread and circuses. You know just go along with everything and struggle. You know while we take slowly take over the world and keep pushing you down. You know there's just messages messages in the film. It's it's quite incredible, um, and I, that's one of the reasons why I like it so much. Um, so like I said, I I don't necessarily I'm not 100 percent with you that maybe he's part of the cabal and all that sort of stuff. I I think there's just something about John. You know, like I said, he never made it to the big time. You know what I mean? Like if you only make it to the big time if you're in, if you're in that group. So he sort of, you know, he, he he was on the outside of Hollywood a bit, a bit. You know what I mean? He was always the B grade guy. He wasn't never cracked into the mainstream. Uh, even though yeah, he was no, in, that's that's you know? a, that's purely a suggestion on my behalf because so many yeah. people are. And I, I mean, I wouldn't call him small time. And you know, no, no, from definitely New York not. And, I mean, Correct. There's um, lots of big cult movies and lots of stuff, but it, it, he was yeah. never the one that had the big budgets. The never thing, got a big budget for all these movies and stuff. They're always low budget kind of movies. You know what I mean? Like almost like he almost tried to fund them himself in a sense. You know, like um, yeah, you could be right. I mean, you could be right. I, I'm not saying that I'm correct or anything. It just seems that um, there's a lot of movies that he made that were very predictive, sort of like you know, engineering yeah. flavor about them. That's, yeah. That was all really I was noting. 
Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm not, not that I'm, I try and be pessimistic and, and all that sort of stuff, but I, that was me just trying to, I guess that's part of my, my personality type. I guess I try and see that. I'm trying to see that in people, the good thing about him. You know what I mean? Like I, mm. I'm, I'm open to you, to your, um, your summation of him as well. Like I, I definitely consider that as well. And something to be, to be, to be yeah. mindful of for sure. But yeah. Um, yeah, that's just me. I try and see it. Uh, I try, I guess I try and see the, the goodness in things. And uh, to me, that's just, I, my impression is it's just straight out. He's trying to get a message across that you know, these things where we're being controlled, we're being manipulated on a daily basis through hidden signals and all that sort of stuff. And this was his little way of, you know, letting us know a bit of a revelation of the method. Perhaps maybe he's he knows these things, but he doesn't quite like to take part in them. But he's, you know, maybe he does. Maybe he is part of the cabal, but he doesn't like it. You know what I mean? Maybe he's oh, quite possibly, yeah. That, you know? So. I think there's a lot of a lot of them sort of get caught up in it as well that they probably don't really want to be, but they sort of are. It's kind of like, oh, I'm here now. I don't know. Who knows? Can't really get inside their heads. But I thought it was a pretty good um, way to just show, you know, certain sides of humanity, which, um, you know, you're either going to, well, basically decisions. A lot of it is kind of black and white, you know. You're mm-hmm. either with or... I mean, people people often criticise that whole you're either with or against mindset, but it's sort of, I mean, in, in a way, it, it, you, you think about it, that's the way it is. You're either with them or you're against them, really, in a lot of ways. Sitting on the fence and being in the middle of the road uh, isn't really yes, going to achieve that, a whole that, lot. That good line, that's right. He has that good yeah. line in the movie, you know, the middle of the road is the worst place to be, you know. He's like, pick a side. You know, that, yeah, that was his message, much. you know. Because, I mean, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. So um, there's that. You know, it just showed sort of the deception and the the price of every man and the lack of loyalty is sort of where all this leads in a destructive kind of way. And you know, if you make sense and you, or if you make your mind up and you stand firm and you know try to do the right thing and and uh, hurt yourself along the way, be prepared to do that. And uh, I guess that's all that we can do because there is only a certain amount we can do as individuals. That's right. But collectively, it's more powerful, isn't it? So I guess that's why we persist to try to get the collective awakening, which is, seems to be working quite well, I think. I think so. Yeah, I think so to a degree. Ways. And I know, I know people are trying to be a bit pessimistic on that too, to say like you're never going to get through to everyone. And I agree, you don't. But there, you don't have to. You only need to get to a certain point before everyone else starts following like they do. So yeah, and they, mm. you know, they know that as well mm. because they they mm. just write off a certain percentage of humanity as it will never get to them. There's a certain percentage we'll never get to, and they know that. So I think whatever it is, ten, fifteen percent, or something. Yeah. So yeah. But you know. Nice. Just gotta... Well, I'll, just to um, just to wrap it up a little bit here, I'll just quickly go through just a couple of these little ones, a little bit of trivia, a little bit of fun stuff about the film, but just to wind it up. Uh, and again, don't forget, I will include that little, the reading of the short story at the end of this as well. So stay tuned for that one, guys. Don't tune out just yet. Um, so here we go. John Carpenter brought real homeless folks into the production for several scenes and smaller characters and gave them food as well as paychecks. Um, I thought that was a pretty classy thing to yeah. do, said nice. Roddy Piper, which is nice. The line, I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubblegum, was ad-libbed by Roddy Piper, according to John, uh, director John <laughs> Carpenter. Piper had previously written the line in his notebook of potential verbal bits during his wrestling career. He shared the notebook with Carpenter and they agreed that this particular line fit the character and the film perfectly. And Piper went on to use it at a wrestling match as well. So there you go. Like I mentioned earlier. Yep. Uh, the big fight sequence was designed, rehearsed and choreographed in the backyard of director John Carpenter's production office. Uh, the fight between Nada and Frank 
was only supposed to last 20 seconds, but Piper and David uh, decided to fight it out for real, only faking the hits to the face and the groin. They rehearsed the fight for three weeks. Carpenter was so impressed, he kept the scene intact, which runs for five minutes and 20 seconds. There you go. That's pretty cool. Uh. <laughs> and Frank yeah. was actually, the, the um, Keith David, the actor, um, he's he was actually, his background is a, is a dancer. He was actually a dancer. Too. So if you if you look at his IMDb catalog thing, it says actor and dancer as well. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, after Nara kills uh, several ghouls and exits into the side street, he comes face to face with a human cop whom he disarms and tells to leave. The actual phrase he uses: "Beat your feet." But according mm. to Piper, the actor apparently misinterpreted it on the first take and began uh, first take and began running in place. God bless him, he says. His heart was into it big time. <laughs> uh, Roddy Piper being married, a married man. Oh, this is interesting as well. Married, uh, Roddy Piper being a married man at the time of filming refused to take his wedding band off. And that's why you actually see it in several scenes uh, with his wedding ring on because he refused to take it off. So that's pretty cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, that was there's, interesting there's... actually because um, I was thinking, yeah, there was no sort of uh, romance play between him and Holly, which I thought was kind of nice because it, it also kind of um, made you realise that he's really fully focused on just one thing. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um... Well, I'll do maybe two more here. So John Carpenter wanted a truly rugged individual to play Nada. He cast wrestler Roddy Piper in the lead after, lead role after seeing him in WrestleMania three in 1987. Uh, one of the Alien TV broadcasts refers to the director by name. Oh, that's why I, I, we skipped past that part and I forgot. Um, so this is this is what I was going to mention earlier. I mentioned it earlier. I alluded to it, but I kind of forgot it when it came to that scene in the movie. But anyway, so it says one of the alien TV broadcasts refers to the director by name. The alien commentators who look at uh, who look like Siskel and Ebert uh, are pl- are complaining about sex and violence in the media, and the dialogue breaks off with the words, "Filmmakers like George A. Romero and John Carpenter have to show some restraint." Just <laughs> 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 very clever. I remember uh, that line, but I didn't pick up on the John Carpenter. Right. Yeah, very clever as well. Yeah, so <clears> our <throat> last one. Many movie posters for the film featured a long blurb that read, you see them on the street, you see them on TV, you might even vote for them, vote for one of them this fall. You think they're people just like you. You're wrong. Dead wrong. There we go. <laughs> I'll leave it there. But I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone else who wants to check out a few more of those. Very cool. It's a fun movie. I wanted to do this just for the show, for the listeners. I might try and do another movie review throughout the year as well. I've uh, been wanting to do The Matrix for quite a while too because that's a huge one to do. Um, so that'll be good fun. Yeah. Uh, lots of little key things in that one as well. But, yeah, so there we go. They Live. That's the movie. The link's in the show notes if you want to watch the film. Uh, stay tuned, I guess, as well, folks, for the short story, which I'll put at the end as well. Stella, thanks again for, for coming on. I know uh, Andy had to bail, unfortunately. He had something come up. Uh, but thanks for sticking out with me and for, for going through this film and for having a chat. And uh, I think it was really good. I like your insights. And uh, I think there's a lot we can learn from this, too. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, worth a look for a rainy Saturday afternoon or something. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been uh, fun. Yeah, it's been good. Thanks, also mate. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, love all the shows you do. For anyone out there who's interested, Stella does appear on a few different podcasts as well with uh, some other great folks from around the world, actually. So um, if you want to drop a few of those, um, Stella, name some of the ones that you're um, that you're with as well. Uh, yeah, mainly Union of the Unknowns um, and uh, WTF Forum, which is every well Australian time. It's every Monday at uh, eleven o'clock in the morning. It's live on. 
YouTube when we don't get kicked off. <laughs> Usually nice. do. Um, and uh, occasionally the propaganda report, I pop on there every now and then when Brad invites me to chat about silly things in the media, etc., and politics. <laughs> awesome. Cool. I'll, I'll uh, make sure I check a, a link in the show notes as well for so people can catch up with... Um, with yourself and the things you got to say with uh, those other podcasts. It's awesome. All right, mate. Great chatting to you. And thanks again yeah, for coming on for too. the show. Thanks. Eight o'clock in the morning by Ray Nelson. At the end of the show, the hypnotist told his subjects, Awake. Something unusual happened. One of the subjects awoke all the way. This had never happened before. His name was George Nada, and he blinked out at the sea of faces in the theater, at first unaware of anything out of the ordinary. Then he noticed spotted here and there in the crowd, the non-human faces, the faces of the fascinators. They had been there all along, of course, but only George was really awake, so only George recognized them for what they were. He understood everything in a flash, including the fact that if he were to give any outward sign, the fascinators would instantly command him to return to his former state, and he would obey. He left the theater, pushing out into the neon night, carefully avoiding any indication that he saw the green reptilian flesh or the multiple yellow eyes of the rulers of the earth. One of them asked him, Got a light, buddy? George gave him a light, then moved on. At intervals along the street, George saw the posters hanging with photographs of the fascinator's multiple eyes and various commands printed under them, such as, Work eight hours, play eight hours, slept eight hours, and Marry and Reproduce. A TV set in the window of a store caught George's eye, but he looked away in the nick of time. When he didn't look at the fascinator in the screen, he could resist the command. Stay tuned to this station. George lived alone in a little sleeping room, and as soon as he got home, the first thing he did was to disconnect the TV set. In other rooms, he could hear the TV sets of his neighbors, though. Most of the time, the voices were human, but now and then he heard the arrogant, strangely bird-like croaks of the aliens. Obey the government, said one croak. We are the government, said another. We are your friends. You'd do anything for a friend, wouldn't you? Obey. Work. Suddenly the phone rang. George picked it up. It was one of the fascinators. Hello, it squawked. This is your control, Chief of Police Robinson. You are an old man, George Nada. Tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, your heart will stop. Please repeat. I am an old man, said George. Tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, my heart will stop. The control hung up. No, it won't, whispered George. He wondered why they wanted him dead. Did they suspect that he was awake? Probably. Someone might have spotted him, noticed that he didn't respond the way the others did. If George were alive at one minute after 8 tomorrow morning, then they would be sure. No use waiting here for the end, he thought. He went out again. The posters, the TV... The occasional commands from passing aliens did not seem to have absolute power over him, though he still felt strongly tempted to obey, to see things the way his master wanted him to see them. He passed an alley and stopped. One of the aliens was alone there, leaning against the wall. George walked up to him. Move on, grunted the thing, focusing his deadly eyes on George. George felt his grasp on awareness waver. For a moment the reptilian head dissolved into the face of a lovable old drunk, of course the drunk would be lovable. George picked up a brick and smashed it down on the old drunk's head with all his strength. For a moment the image blurred. Then the blue-green blood oozed out of the face and the lizard fell, twitching and writhing. After a moment, it was dead. George dragged the body into the shadows and searched it. 
There was a tiny radio in its pocket, and a curiously shaped knife and fork in another. The tiny radio said something in an incomprehensible language. George put it down beside the body, but kept the eating utensils. I can't possibly escape, thought George. Why fight them? But maybe he could. What if he could awaken others? That might be worth a try. He walked twelve blocks to the apartment of his girlfriend Lil and knocked on her door. She came to the door in her bathrobe. I want you to wake up, he said. I'm awake, she said. Come on in. He went in. The TV was playing. He turned it off. No, he said. I mean really wake up. She looked at him without comprehension, so he snapped his fingers and shouted, Wake up! The master's command that you wake up! Are you off your rocker, George? She asked suspiciously. You sure are acting funny! He slapped her face. Cut that out! She cried. What the hell are you up to anyway? Nothing, said George, defeated. I was just kidding around. Slapping my face wasn't just kidding around, she cried. There was a knock at the door. George opened it. It was one of the aliens. Can't you keep the noise down to a dull roar? It said. The eyes in reptilian flesh faded a little, and George saw the flickering image of a fat, middle-aged man in shirt sleeves. It was still a man when George slashed its throat with the eating knife, but it was an alien before it hit the floor. He dragged it into the apartment and kicked the door shut. What do you see there? He asked Lil, pointing to the many-eyed snake thing on the floor. Mr. Mr. Coney, she whispered, her eyes wide with horror. You just killed him, like it was nothing at all. Don't scream, warned George, advancing on her. I won't, George. I swear I won't. Only please, for the love of God, put down that knife. She backed away until she had her shoulder blades pressed to the wall. George saw that it was no use. I'm going to tie you up, said George. First tell me which room Mr. Coney lived in. The first door on your left as you go toward the stairs, she said. Georgie, Georgie, don't torture me. If you're going to kill me, do it clean. Please, Georgie, please. He tied her up with bedsheets and gagged her, then searched the body of the fascinator. There was another one of the little radios that talked a foreign language, another set of eating utensils, and nothing else. George went next door. When he knocked, one of the snake things answered. Who is it? Friend of Mr. Coney. I want to see him, said George. He went out for a second, but he'll be right back. The door opened a crack and four yellow eyes peeped out. You want to come in and wait? Okay, said George, not looking at the eyes. You alone here? He asked. As it closed the door, it's back to George. Yeah, why? He slit its throat from behind, then searched the apartment. He found human bones and skulls, a half-eaten hand. He found tanks with huge fat slugs floating in them. The children, he thought, and killed them all. There were guns, too, of a sort he had never seen before. He discharged one by accident, but fortunately it was noiseless. It seemed to fire little poison darts. He pocketed the gun and as many boxes of darts he could and went back to Lil's place. When she saw him, she writhed in helpless terror. Relax, honey, he said, opening her purse. I just want to borrow your car keys. He took the keys and went downstairs to the street. Her car was still parked in the same general area in which she always parked it. He recognized it by the dent in the right fender. He got in, started it, and began driving aimlessly. He drove for hours, thinking desperately searching for some way out. He turned on the car radio to see if he could get some music, but there was nothing but news and it was all about him. George Nada, the homicidal maniac. The announcer was one of the masters, but he sounded a little scared. Why should he be? 
What could one man do? George wasn't surprised when he saw the roadblock, and he turned off on a side street before he reached it. No little trip to the country for you, Georgie boy, he thought to himself. They had just discovered what he had done back at Lil's place, so they would probably be looking for Lil's car. He parked it in an alley and took the subway. There were no aliens on the subway for some reason. Maybe they were too good for such things, or maybe it was just because it was so late at night. When one finally did get on, George got off. He went up to the street and went into a bar. One of the fascinators was on the TV, saying over and over again, We are your friends. We are your friends. We are your friends. The stupid lizard sounded scared. Why? What could one man do against all of them? George ordered a beer. The it suddenly struck him that the fascinator on the TV no longer seemed to have any power over him. He looked at it again and thought, It has to believe it can master me to do it. The slightest hint of fear on its part and the power to hypnotize is lost. They flashed George's picture on the TV screen, and George retreated to the phone booth. He called his control, the chief of police. Hello, Robinson, he asked. Speaking. This is George Nada. I figured out how to wake people up. What? George, hang on. Where are you? Robinson sounded almost hysterical. He hung up and paid and left the bar. They would probably trace his call. He caught another subway and went downtown. It was dawn when he entered the building housing the biggest of the city's TV studios. He consulted the building director and then went up in the elevator. The cop in front of the studio recognized him. Why, you're nada, he gasped. George didn't like to shoot him with the poison dart gun, but he had to. He had to kill several more before he got into the studio itself, including all the engineers on duty. There were a lot of police sirens outside, excited shouts and running footsteps on the stairs. The alien was sitting before the the TV camera saying, We are your friends, we are your friends, and didn't see George come in. When George shot him with the needle gun, he simply stopped in mid-sentence and sat there, dead. George stood near him and said, imitating the alien croak, Wake up, wake up, see us as we are and kill us. It was George's voice the city heard that morning, but it was the fascinator's image, and the city did awake for the very first time and the war began. George did not live to see the victory that finally came. He died of a heart attack at exactly 8 o'clock.